0: This is the Husker Doc Doc podcast presented by Betfred Sports, 2022, episode 39. Earlier today at the Lincoln Airport, this is Matt Rule getting off the private charter jet, giving Kreb Alberts a big old hug, and the family comes to Lincoln as well. As there is the 31st head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, Matt Rule. Who's been on the beach, should we say, um, Doctor Rob? Been on the beach, and uh, kind of your, your your thoughts as he's getting off the plane, giving all the, the the high fives and the and the hugs and all that stuff.
1: There he is. <laughs> there he is. There he is. So one of the guys, one, one of my partners at work is Monte Cristo, the yeah. former Nebraska quarterback. All former Huskers become doctors. By the way, apparently. is that right? That's a thing. Um, <laughs> Monte made the point. He goes, you know some poor intern's job was to just, hey, go to the airport, stand outside a fence, pop out your iPhone, and just videotape Matt Rule getting off of a plane.
0: If there's one thing Nebraska knows how to do well, and we saw it today, is pomp and circumstance. Did you notice that? I, I mean, they had everything down to an absolute science, and uh, with the bands and the people and, yeah. and inside the Hawks Championship Center.
1: Which I, I don't want to say it was overdone, but I don't know. Maybe I felt like it was a little overdone. <laughs> but the, the giant light up word no like, like the giant like Huskers across the what front of the stage in like Broadway style lights was maybe a little that was maybe a little bit too much, a, a I, bit too I, much. I don't know I, I'm looking at it and I'm like God, I feel like Hugh Jackman's going to come out and do a number here right now. <laughs> uh, and that
0: may be the case. Uh, here's the deal. We are doing a live rule reaction. Uh, Husker Doc Talk podcast Boy, like presented that. by... The rule The rule reaction, reaction uh, presented by uh, Betfred Sports. Uh, and really, uh, no rules tonight. We are going to be... Hey, did you like that? But bum No rules tonight. We are going to be oh, on the air...
1: Oh, my God. That was horrible. As
0: long as uh, you guys still have comments, as long as you still have questions. And, of course, we do... Want you to go ahead and give us a call. That's the number to call right there. 402-543-5556. Again, 402-543-5556 is the number to call if you have a question for Dr. Rob uh, regarding the, the hiring of Matt Rule, which, of course, it, it was a little anticlimactic because uh, the official announcement was made on Saturday. Uh, the press conference takes place today. Uh, but there was a lot of things said at the press conference. We can address those. Also, a lot of stuff about Mickey Joseph, other things coming in already a lot of people uh watching and we want to thank you if you're watching on the youtube channel make sure to hit that subscribe button also if you're on facebook go ahead and like uh the page uh doctor how much did the uh, uh, of the of the news conference did you get to see today
1: you know i i kind of I, I didn't watch anything live i kind of went back and because well like I, I do have a day job still um you're saving lives man that's what you're doing you're saving lives brother one one hip replacement at a time. <laughs> I you know the kind of the big thing that I had a chance to go through was looking at the uh, um, the high, I guess you call it the highlight clips. Yeah. And, and I mean there's there's kind of a lot of the key point stuff he made. I mean he talked about bringing his family to Lincoln, his family likes it there the little bit that they've had to experience it. They don't want to move every three or four years if they can help it. So they do want to kind of put roots down. Um, talking about, he kind of talked about sort of some of the principles where he was talking about program building. And this was actually coming from Trev Alberts, where it was like program building, toughness. And player development were kind of some key foundational principles that Trev was looking for that he reiterated during the at the start of the press conference. Um, you heard Rule talk about everything starting up front, the line play, everything starts with the line. Well,
0: let's let's hear from Matt Rule. This was taken from the Big Ten Network and the Matt Rule News Conference today. Uh, this is exactly what he said, and uh, we'll get your reaction after it, Dr. Rob.
2: But at the end of the day, I don't believe you can win if you can't win the line of scrimmage. We want to have fast oh, players. players, we want to have speed, we yeah. want to have you great quarterback play. But at the end of the day, through the weight room and recruiting, we want to have a physical team that can control the line of scrimmage and control the game. I believe that's the type of team that can win in the elements. That's the type of team that can win on the road. That's the type of team that can have a lead and keep a lead. That's the type of team that Nebraskans want to see.
0: He's not wrong there, right? And that should be a man after your own heart.
1: No, okay, number one, I love that. Number two is that's a preacher's kid, right? (laughs) there. I mean, you're listening to the cadence of him talk. He is talking about when you were going through this process. There is a way that certain people will speak when they are in front of a microphone. And somebody who has experience at the pulpit of God, they will. anyway.
0: Grillin31 says, is he Billy Graham or Joel Osteen?
1: (laughs) No, he is, but he is. He's a pastor's kid. And I guarantee you, that guy has spent a lot of time in church listening to preachers talk or doing it himself growing up. So... It's I mean you're going to have that any any kid I've known who's a preacher's kid they all talk that
0: way. Uh, Dustin says, uh, and we're going to get to a lot of stuff. We, if you if you're new to the Doc Talk podcast, you may notice that we go around in circles a lot, right? We we, we chase a lot of squirrels. They have a little ADHD, ADD. We just we 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 talk about comes to our mind.
1: We're all ready to Joel Austin. Yeah, we're, we're like five yeah.
0: minutes in. Well, and, and Dustin brings this up. Need Mickey? Period. That's an interesting question. Oh. And, and, and let me give you my opinion, and I want to hear what you have to say. I I think. A lot of people are under the assumption that uh, Mickey Joseph maybe had a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, if you're not the head coach, you'll be guaranteed a spot on this on this coaching staff, which is not a bad assumption. But I would say this: Is it healthy? And what I mean by that, if you're going to have a head coach come in and build a culture, do things like, and you're sticking him with somebody that he doesn't really know, may not fit what he's looking for. In a coach, is that healthy to make a head coach that you just hired take on somebody else? In all honesty,
1: uh, there's time. I mean, there's times I've seen it work. There's times I've seen it not work. Is it a absolute yes or an absolute no? No, you can't put the absolute in front of it. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting. I believe at both Temple and Baylor. Rule did keep on a member of the former staff. Okay, Don't quote me on that, but I believe that to be the case, that at both places he did keep a former staff member on board. And it wasn't just sort of a kind of that bridge person. Hey, we're going to have you here for a year and then you move along. He had people there that kind of became sort of his people then. Um I, from a suggestion standpoint, I think it's good as long as it's not a, hey, you know what? If you wouldn't mind at least taking a look at making, giving him, k- kind of just some maybe some due diligence as a guy you might want to keep, maybe give that a thought. We're not going to make you do it one way or the other. Uh, and I don't think you know from a from a coach standpoint. If I'm an assistant coach, if I'm a potential coordinator coordinator. I'm somebody in Mickey's position, whether it's a passing game coordinator, O coordinator, even just wide receivers coach and recruiting co-coordinator. I don't know if I want to be forced on somebody. And I think that's kind of the key thing that people need to also understand here is that this is very much a two way street. That when you're one of those assistants, you don't want this, hey, you need to keep me on board. And I'm going to be pissed if you don't keep me on board. Now, if Mickey's like, hey, I want Matt Rule to do his due diligence, I want Matt to at least give me a shot, interview me, let me know what he thinks. And then have Matt tell me, yes, I'm keeping you and here's why. No, I'm not keeping you and here's why. That's the process that if I was an assistant coach, I'd want to have, I'd want the opportunity for. I would not want Trev Alberts, if I'm Mickey, I don't want Trev Alberts telling Rule, hey, you got to keep this guy no matter what. Because guess what? That is a horrible, horrible foundation for a working relationship. And that goes for any profession. It does. It's not just coaching. I I mean, you look at anything that anybody does, you don't want somebody who isn't part of your group I guess you you, you want to be able to have that say in the process now Matt may be in a position where he's sitting here going like yeah I will 100% talk to the current coaches and there may be some guys I really like and I really click with and I want to have on my staff but if there's none then I want to have that power to be able to say hey listen it just it's I, I'm just not feeling the chemistry here and I'm going to go with somebody else. And if I'm Mickey Joseph and I hear that answer from Matt Rule, that that's probably a good thing because do you want to be on Matt Rule's staff if Matt Rule is only keeping you here for no reason other than the fact Trev's making him keep you here?
0: 402 543 556. Again, 402 543 5556 Uh, you didn't leave your name. Who's on with us? Justin. Hey, Justin, what's up, man? What's your question for Dr. Rob?
3: Oh, well, I'm very excited. Thank you very much. First time listener. Appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, But for me, I had us pegged at four uh, wins this year, but not these four wins. (laughs) Uh, Can you offer some explanations as to how we can predict things going forward? And I'll uh, listen to the rest of it offline.
1: Um, Boy, that's actually kind of an interesting question to me because uh, Iowa was not one of the wins I would have pick, picked either. Um, I thought Indiana was a tough one. I thought Rutgers. Rutgers, I, I thought Nebraska would get. If you would ask me looking at the schedule right off the bat, you know, Justin's right. Because my thought process would have been coming out of those first four games. Nebraska, at worst, is 3-1. And I thought the potential one loss might be Oklahoma. But even then, in that situation, I kind of saw Oklahoma sitting where they are sitting, being a team that has some very good athletes. But, boy, they lost some guys. They lost some dudes with Lincoln Riley to USC. You lost Spencer Rattler. Um that that was kind of a team with a little bit of turmoil here. Now they've had kind of this cool finish to the season with the win and Bedlam, so on and so forth. But uh, I, I thought even Oklahoma was a very winnable game going into the season. I didn't see the law. I thought the wins were going to be Northwestern. I thought the wins were going to be Georgia Southern, North Dakota. Obviously, I thought maybe you lose to to Oklahoma, but I think you get through that first four games at three and one. And you're sitting in an okay position. And then I do, I thought Nebraska beats Illinois. Illinois was better than I thought. But I mean, Illinois looked, there were some things we saw from Illinois last year that made that game questionable. You look at all the losses Nebraska's had this year. I mean, we got nuked by Oklahoma, we got nuked by Michigan. Michigan's pretty darn good, dude. Oh, they're really good. But after that, every game was a winnable game. True, true. So it's the the wins we had. I mean, probably the one win that I look at that. Um, I think Indiana's gone downhill big time. Um, since Is it uh, uh, DeBoer that's at Washington? Yes. Since Tom Allen lost DeBoer, that team's just been different. Tom Allen is not the same coach without DeBoer. And so, that being the case, I I think Indiana was in hindsight without DeBorn, where I think I see Indiana trending. That win, I think, is fairly predictable. Kind of the big one that I look at that I'm like, damn, how'd we get that? Is Iowa. And I still come back and I'm like, how do you lose to Illinois but beat Iowa? How do you lose to Wisconsin? but beat Iowa. How do you lose to Minnesota, but beat Iowa? Four turnovers. And it is, but I mean, Nebraska forced those turnovers. I, I don't think, it, it's not like Spencer Petrus was suddenly shitty during the, the Nebraska game. He, he was an incredibly mediocre quarterback all year. That last interception that Padilla had, you know, he's pressing. It's the end of the game. I get it. So, But Nebraska forced three turnovers in that game. They Those were takeaways. Those weren't turnovers. True. And they obviously capitalized them. Iowa getting one turnover from Nebraska might have been – was almost enough for Iowa to win the game. There's like a three-to-one ratio here, one turnover for – that Iowa gets equals three turnovers that Nebraska gets.
0: And, and Nebraska fans are having but, their, fun, their fun with me, right? I mean, uh, Melissa says, Hey, Travis, how about Nebraska's offense? Pretty much having their way with that Iowa defense. And they did for the most part. I I, I can't argue with it. Here's uh, a question
1: for you. Nick Just, says,
0: Now, I will disagree with this. After Nebraska kicked Iowa's ass, I, it was 24 17. And the truth is, and we brought this up, Nebraska almost found a way to lose that game.
1: They did. They almost found a way. Uh, Yes. No. I'm going to disagree with you that. You and I just had this conversation I wa- so yesterday. So, I, I texted you first quarter of that game. Yes. What, do you remember the text? Yes. All what did Iowa I has say? to do
0: is run the, the zone run play and they're going to win this game going away.
1: I said if Iowa goes to the zone, zone blocking, zone run game, Nebraska's in trouble. Iowa went to the zone run game they didn't really do it hardcore they kept trying to pass the whole first half late first half definitely third quarter onward Iowa kind of Iowa finally was like maybe we should just go do Iowa stuff <laughs> and when they did it worked and all of a sudden they start chipping away yes. to get a turnover and all of a sudden at the end of the game Nebraska needs a la- needs an interception on the last series to seal the win Nebraska didn't almost give that away. Iowa came back and started Iowaing the shit out of stuff and almost took that game back. That was Iowa doing what Iowa does. That was again I'm going to say Iowa more times in in a paragraph here than anybody said Iowa before, but Iowa blew that game because they tried to not do what was in their nature which it, is past
0: and that's and that's a and that's a Brian Ferentz problem and and why people are screaming for his job uh 402 uh four three let's go back to the phones uh, who's on with us you didn't leave your name uh, it's tom hey tom what's up man tom how you doing
4: good guys hey i was wondering um, if you guys caught the uh, luke pickle Press conference. Um, only I, I caught like I a snippet
1: kind of, of it, but
4: I, I'm telling you, I was kind of on the fence um, with uh, if we could get Luke Fickle um, or Matt Rule. You know, I was well, I was kind of leaning towards Luke Fickle, but after watching uh, Coach Rule's press conference, and I know it's only words, but you know that it, they it means a lot at this point. Cause that's all you have uh, as far as what he's going to do at Nebraska. But I'm, I'm telling you, he he sounded so much more prepared and had such a better vision than what Luke Fickle did at his press conference. I mean, it was noticeable. I kind of was cringy when I was listening to this guy. And I was like in his corner to – to be the head coach here at Nebraska if he was going to be available. Hey And I was just wondering your guy's opinion on
0: that. All right, Tom, stay there with us. I'll give you mine, then Rob will give you his. I I will say this about Matt Rule. And we heard Matt Rule say that, hell, he's even been to Lincoln. He snuck into Lincoln and did a tour of of the university with with Trev. I have a feeling these conversations with Matt Rule have been going on ever since he got fired from the Carolina Panthers. So he's had time to prepare his vision. He's had time to prepare his speech. He's had over a couple months to, to get ready to walk up on stage. I'm going to be honest with you. When Wisconsin hired Luke Fickle yesterday, I was shocked. And sometimes I just think he wasn't prepared. They threw him on a plane and said, you're the next head coach of Wisconsin, and not even knowing what the hell happened in front of him. He just left his team that's going to go to a bowl game. Hey, what, what do you think, Dr. Rob? Just about being prepared to win the press conference, should we say.
1: Well, okay. now And, and being being prepared to win the press conference. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it it kind of goes back to just being prepared and who you are as a person, what your general philosophy is. So, let let's start with Rule real quick. So with with Matt Rule, you got a guy who has some foundational principles. It's recruit great athletes. He's he's got this record of recruiting, just. Insane, guys. And, and this was something that really didn't pop up until if you follow local recruiting. So Jalen Lloyd, Omaha Central kid, transferred to Omaha West Side. He is the returning Class A state champion in the 100-200 long jump and triple jump. Um, if he really wanted to be the all-class champ in all four, he probably could. The kid is an amazing athlete. He transferred to Westside because he felt like he wanted to get a little bit more football exposure, picked up a couple of joint track football offers. Texas Tech is one example. He was set to go to a track school for college. He, out of the blue, all of a sudden gets this offer from Nebraska and Coach Rule and delays his college commitment based upon that all of a sudden nebraska from a football standpoint is now a player in the game matt rule has a history and it it was pointed out to me again by one of my work partners which was monte cristo former husker quarterback that matt rule has this history of going after high-end track athletes he wants guys who can run he wants great athletes he wants guys who not necessarily are the 6'8", 330 pounders. He wants guys who are good athletes, whatever the position is. And he feels like he can develop those guys. And so that's something that's a foundational principle for Matt Rule is player development. Give me a good athlete, I will develop them into a great football player. Give me an average athlete, I will develop them into a good football player. He's a developmental guy. So that's a foundational principle. So when you go in front of the press conference, he's got these foundational principles, developing individuals into being great football players. Line play, winning the line of scrimmage. He talked about that in the press conference. That's a foundational principle. Of owning the line of scrimmage for Matt Rule. He talked about having a strong run game. That's a foundational principle for Matt Rule. These are things that he talked about at the press conference. That when I look at Rule and I like what I'm hearing when you talk about winning the press conference, it can't just be, hey, this guy's good in front of a mic. There's a lot of coaches who are good in front of a microphone, doesn't mean they're great coaches. I like guys who have foundational principles. You talk about a team having an identity. Coaches that have foundational principles are going to have an identity and their teams are going to have an identity. And the thing that Rule keeps going back to, he talks about player development. He talks about winning the line of scrimmage. He talks about toughness. Those are these principles that keep getting brought up every time he's in front of a microphone. And those are those foundations that he builds programs on.
0: Check this out, already on Wikipedia. Husker fans
1: are oh, amazing. I saw that. One like what, what, one, 20, and for 2020, press one and zero for <laughs> 2020 press conference. 2022 1 0 press conference. That's the funniest thing I think I've ever seen, but that's awesome. When you look at fickle, so I mean I thought Tom makes a great point. When you look at fickle, the thing that would worry me, that would worry me about Luke Fickle is that I think if you took Matt Rule and he was at, let's say he was still coaching the Carolina Panthers, and Nebraska floated him an offer and Rule went, well, I like that better than the Panthers. I'm going to leave the team I'm currently coaching to go to Nebraska. I think you still put Matt Rule in front of a microphone, whether or not he's had a month and a half, eight weeks, whatever, to prepare that potential speech. I think Matt Rule still has those foundational principles of his coaching philosophy that you could give him literally 30 hours notice like Fickle had, and you could put Matt Rule in front of a microphone and he would be able to still say, He, here, listen, here's what we did three three jobs ago. Here's what we did two jobs ago. Here's what we did at the last job. And it was based off of player development, finding these great athletes, developing those guys. It's based off of superior line play, winning the line of scrimmage. We've got to dominate up front, otherwise we're not gonna win games we need to be the toughest team out there we need to be tough people tough students tough athletes and those are foundational principles i think if matt rule had 30 hours notice like luke fickle did i think matt rule still gives you the exact same press conference he did because of those principles and that's what worries me about matt fickle so let's talk about Luke Fickle. Matt. I'm sorry, I said Matt Fickle, didn't I?
0: You got a moment. But here's Let, the deal. Uh, yeah, let's, but, I, mean, I mean, Matt rules with, a natural orator. I mean, that's like saying anybody can do go to a podcast, be on television. You, you can't. Some guys are just natural in front of cameras and natural at public speaking. Some aren't. We it,
1: kick ass at podcasts.
0: But it doesn't mean you're a bad football coach if you can't
1: talk in front of people. No, and I'll give, I'll, I'll give Fickle that. And, and Fickle's kind of an interesting guy to me because he's got – he had, as, as far as head coaching goes, he had this really mediocre year as the interim coach at Ohio State he, when he took over for Tressel after Tressel got fired for a nothing burger, in my opinion. But um, well, it's all legal now. 100%. There you go. Put um, some
0: tattoos and some gear. There you go.
1: Exactly. God, that's still mind blowing, isn't it? <laughs> is, and what's even more yeah. mind blowing is the whole Penn State thing broke right after that. And we're all sitting around going, wait, they fired Trestle for what? <laughs> anyway, digressing. Um, when you look at Luke Fickle, the bulk of his career is at Cincinnati. His first season was pretty damn mediocre. I, mean, I think he went like four and eight his first year, yeah. maybe. It it has been sterling since. Yes. He has... And went to the college football playoff. He is... I mean, he is... And that's AAC, correct? Yes. So, I mean, other than 2017 when Frost was at UCF, Fickle has owned the AAC. Now, he's got some second-place finishes in the division, first-place finishes in the division, second-place overall conference finishes. Um, but I doubt there's been a better team in that time span that he's been at Cincinnati than than Cincinnati itself with Luke Fickle. I mean, it's just, that is a insanely golden record that he's got at Cincinnati. Now, my question is, I've always never been fully sold on Luke Fickle, and I I keep calling him Matt Campbell 2.0. And the reason is, is because I always looked at Matt Campbell and you had kind of a group of five guy, FCS guy who comes to Iowa State. And you've pointed out numerous times, statistically, Matt Campbell, who was, I mean, I think on a lot of people's potential shortlist for the Nebraska job two months ago.
0: True. I would agree um, with
1: that. That Matt Campbell is, hands down, probably statistically the best coach that Iowa State's ever had. More bowl games, more bowl wins, yeah. more... more. I mean, top... Johnny
0: Majors was there, but wasn't there long enough to say whether or not he was... Yeah. Uh, you know, so but I mean, you, Earl you, Bruce was there, not a bad football coach
1: either. No, not at all. But when you look at the overall picture of what Matt Campbell's done at Ohio State in terms of bowl games, overall wins, top 25 wins... Um, et cetera, et cetera. Matt Campbell's probably the best coach that Iowa State's ever had. So the question is, however, is, though, if you took Matt Campbell and you suddenly put him at a major player in the Big Ten or the SEC, how is he going to do and what I always thought was when you looked at Matt Campbell, you saw some of these raw, raw upset wins over Texas and Oklahoma, and then he would lose to Kansas State or K-State or a pretty mediocre Texas Tech team. And he just couldn't seem to put the whole package together. This You wouldn't have that same team week in and week out, and I always worried about that with Fickle. I kind of look at it in the same sense that I looked at like a Bobby Petrino at Louisville. Um, a Charlie Strong at Houston. A, it all seems like Houston that I pull these from because it's like Charlie Strong, Tom Herman, Kevin Sumlin, all these guys who looked outstanding at Houston, and that's AAC. Yeah. They, they, they ruled the AAC for two or three years would go to the Big 12 nine times out of ten. It was Texas or Texas a And failed miserably. And would just absolutely crash and burn, and it was always like, "What the hell happened?" And then it's, you, you kind of saw Scott Frost, and we sort of had this exact same picture with Scott, where now, oh, granted, he had he had one okay year. I think his first year, six and six, six and seven.
0: Well, it was ballpark. Wasn't no because he he never went to a bowl game.
1: He did. He didn't. But.
0: Six and six would have got you in a bowl game.
1: Do me a favor. Would you look that up? Absolutely. Google that.
0: Why you you pontificate. Google
1: foo that for me whilst I pontificate over here. So, so Frost goes, has a very okay first season. I didn't think it was that bad. It wasn't, it was not great, but it wasn't horrible. And then his next year, he goes what thirteen and 4 and eight, five and seven, three and five, three and
0: nine, one
1: and two. Wait, give me give me just the UCF. Oh UCF, he went
0: six and seven. So he got six wins at UCF. Yeah, yeah,
1: he went six and seven. I said that, and you're like, no, no, I thought you
0: I thought you meant Nebraska. No, I wasn't paying attention. No,
1: I know he didn't go get six wins at Nebraska. Six and seven. And then 13 and up. And so when he was at UCF and AAC school, he had one I'm, I'm gonna call it okay mediocre season and one amazingly great season. Yes. If Scott Frost, let me ask you this if Scott Frost
0: By the way, Marx is they all thought you meant Nebraska too. I suck, sorry. <laughs>
1: okay, Scott <laughs> Frost at UCF. I said at UCF, people. <laughs> I said UCF. <laughs> when he was at UCF, his first year he went six, six and six or six and seven. Oh. Anyway, so Frost six and six, six and seven, first year UCF. You know what? For a team that I think went one and eleven the year before, 0 and eleven the year before Frost got there, that's pretty freaking good. Next year goes thirteen and zero. Let's say Frost does this uh, shit. You know what? I just feel a good fit here. Screw Nebraska. I'm staying at UCF. What's the comment? Tom says he said UCF. They've got you. They've got your back. Okay, thank you. Some Tom, people like me zone. You.
0: Some people like me zone out on you. I have a lot too. of
1: wax in the <laughs> ears. Anyway, if Frost stays at UCF, I mean his third year there. Um, what's his name? He's at Tennessee now. Uh, Josh Heupel. Thank you. So Heupel comes in his third year. He takes them to the Sugar Bowl. They they go toe to toe with LSU that second that in what would have been Frost's third year. I I mean I think Frost does the same thing. I don't think he does much worse. Either way, he has a pretty nice record that third year. I think if Frost stays at UCF, I think he turns it into what Fickle does. At Cincinnati, at Cincinnati, and has this nine to twelve win a year team at UCF. And by the way, Cincinnati wasn't always like bad. Okay, I no, mean, what I, I, I get. Dude, I, I mean, Kelly had a great run at Cincinnati. And
0: Tuberville had a couple of good seasons.
1: He really Cincinnati. did. So, no, I don't think Cincinnati is an impossible place to win. Which kind of goes back to my Iowa State argument is that, yeah, Matt Campbell might be the best coach that Iowa State's ever had. But nobody, either A, the great ones don't stay there very long, or they just haven't had a lot of really good coaches. Used- and maybe Matt Campbell's a very okay coach. I'll be curious to see what Matt Campbell does going forward.
0: Well, he, he's he's not going to leave Iowa State this year, and if he does, I would be kind of surprised just because uh, they had one of the worst offenses in, in the Big 12, went one in what, eight in the Big 12. Uh, and won four games, which is the. the I mean, for him, is horrible. Yeah, r- really bad. Um, Trev said today that he talked to thirteen coaches. That number surprise you?
1: No, I, his initial press conference, the firing press conference, which by the way, Trev Alberts two and zero with press conferences. <laughs> True. Um, at that, at, at the Scott Frost p- firing press conference, Trev made the point. He goes. I'm going to talk to a lot of guys now. One of the th- one of the things that he said that I thought was kind of interesting, he didn't say I interviewed 13 coaches. No, he said he talked to 13. He coaches. said he talked with 13.
0: And he said 13. he he was quick to say I wouldn't call it interview, I, but I'm willing to bet Matt Campbell was one of those 13. If I if I if I were a betting man, uh, the uh,
1: that would be interesting. I mean, I would love to know who the 13 were. But I'm willing to bet seven to nine of those thirteen. Look what we got.
0: We, we, we're joined. That's that. I don't know if that's a great angle for you, Tom. Tom Chattel from the Omaha World Herald is joining us.
1: Tom Chattel always At- has a great angle. Can you hear me? Oh, we got you loud and clear. Oh, You're on live God. with us, brother.
5: Do I have to have a beer? Yeah, if you yes. want, yes.
0: I'm drinking. I'm actually drinking a uh, New Glarus. Uh, Wisconsin Belgian Red. So this is my Luke Fickle beer right here, and
1: that's your that's your, that's your. I'm, I'm betting Steve Swanstrom from uh, from Cent- Fe- yeah. from Central Federal Credit Union provided that beer. So I got a beer from Craig in in Georgia. Craig always hooks us up with the good Georgia beers. Nice. So
0: Tom, you were at the you were at the news conference today. Uh, I, I I saw you on television, uh, and it's uh, you know they do they do pomp and circumstance well at Nebraska, don't they?
5: Travis I've never seen anything like this in my life. <laughs> it was a it was it wasn't even a pep rally, it was above that. It was a, it was an event. I mean that they, they should have sold tickets. Um
1: they did and, let fans into the stadium to watch on the big screens, didn't they?
5: Uh I, I didn't get that far, but they let fans into the into the event and there were um but the really cool thing was all all the former players and I know that they were there for the Frost thing, but this had a whole different feel to it. I mean, the Frost press conference was Tim talking about his scheme and how the Big Ten's gonna have to adjust, and 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 you know, Bill Moose talking about the the you know the 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 the, the what do they call it the the pick of the litter and and how how he's gonna save the world and this had a whole different feel. I was watching. I mean, I mean, right out of the box, uh, rules starts so talking about the 83 kickoff classic. And I'm sitting down the row from both Mark Trainowitz and Harry Griminger, who played with <laughs> them. And they're just riveted. I mean, they've never heard a Nebraska coach talk about the kickoff classic ever. I mean, certainly not Bill Callahan. Certainly not Bo Pelini, who didn't really care about Nebraska. Um, you know, Mike Rowley didn't know anything about it. And and Frost did, but never. I mean, there was just a reverence in Rule's voice, and, I, I, and he knew everything about it. He knew the the, the ninety four, how he was a uh, walk on linebacker at Penn State.
1: Yeah, I want to. I want At some point, I want to ask Matt Rule about ninety four Penn State, ninety four oh, Nebraska.
5: Mean, exactly, I and mean, he, you
1: know, it was just it was just cool to hear the history right out of the gate, and so
5: yeah, he, you know. He just played into everybody's hands. Uh, and he kept talking. The, the buzzwords were development, 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 O line, development, win the trenches, uh, toughness, uh, just all on down the line. And um, I'm just watching all these former players like Jerry Murton, all these guys, Jerry Taggy, they're, they're just nodding along, agreeing, um, smiles on their faces. It was pretty cool. So, it's it's a press conference. Uh, you know, there's games to be played. There's 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 practices to be had. But I'm going to bet that they're not going to tag anymore in practice. They're actually going to put people on the ground. So, uh, that'd be a very good first step.
0: Tom Chateau from the Omaha World Herald joining us on the Doc Talk podcast presented by Bedford Sports. Tom, um, what are your thoughts on Mickey Joseph? It was brought up today. Rob and I just talked about it. Uh, we don't know if it's a great thing that he stays or not. I, I think a head coach should be allowed to pick who he wants to be on his staff.
5: And, and that's the way this is going to be. Um, but he's going to talk to Mick and, um, you know, i mean Mick has quite a following and a lot of the big money people are all on his team, but you know, it was a funny thing about those guys. Uh, I'm guessing after they heard rule today, they started to think about mm, maybe this guy's pretty good too. Um, I, I just feel like, uh, and I talked to Trev about this, and he he's gotten Rule do what he wants on this deal. He has to. You can't you can't tell a coach what to do, who to hire. But um, he said that Rule has an open mind about it. That he said everywhere he's been, he's uh, he's retained at least one coach from the previous staff, just just for continuity and to help him to help him get started. Um, so he's always done it. He said he's. I said, you know, you know, Trump. I said that the, there's the thought that you know Mickey's so popular with the players that the first time something goes wrong, the players are going to side with Mickey over the new coach, and there can be chemistry problems or feelings hurt, uh, so on and so forth. And Trump said that you know R- 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 Rule has experienced that, but he's also experienced uh, keeping a coach who was also a good um, a good fit. So. We'll see. It's going to be about money. And, you know, some of the word out around there today was that, uh, you know, if Mickey stays, he wants to get paid. Well, Uh, they've got a pool of 7 million for the the, the 10 coaches or 11. I don't know how many they're, how many they have, but um, so we'll see. I mean, there's a thought that if you gave Mickey a million, he'd stay. And I don't they do that or not? Um, I mean, he just, you know, you know, you know, my thought is if this, if he wants to be a head coach and I don't even know how bad he wants that. I think he wanted to be Nebraska's head coach, but he wants to be a head coach. Go to Tulsa, go to Vegas right now. They got an opening, go to Fort Atlantic find a job like that, uh, where you're a good fit and take over and, and, and and get it on your resume that, that you're a winning head coach and maybe come back here one day. Um, you know but but we'll see what
1: happens well and that was something I thought with Mickey I mean I I read your article that you posted today after the press conference and I thought the smartest thing you said was hey if you're Mickey and you want to be a head coach get out of here for a little while yeah it's you don't have to be Nebraska's like your first step to being Nebraska's head coach doesn't necessarily have to be at Nebraska and I you know I I, I do understand there's probably a little bit of a time crunch here for Mickey where he's looking at the the age clock and he's going, I mean, he's probably, what, 52, 53 now?
5: Well, he's, he's uh...
1: So, I mean, he was a fifth-year senior when I was a redshirt <laughs> yep. freshman, and I'm, yeah. I, turned, I turned 51 in a month here, so...
5: <laughs> oh, you don't look a day over uh,
1: forty. <laughs> it's the haircut. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but it's th- there, there's got to be a little bit of a time crunch here where Mickey's thinking, hey, if I leave here, is there going to be time to come back? I mean, when I come back, am I going to be 60 years old?
5: That's always a gamble. Yeah, I know.
1: Ne- next time I get, a sh- I get a crack at Nebraska, is it going to be s- five years, six years, seven years down the road, and he's 60 years old? Because, I mean, you look at a guy like Leipold, I think Leipold's at a spot now where he's yes. He's he's either I'm staying at Kansas because I can win six to eight games a year here and I'm a and I'm a minor god. Absolutely. Or or I think the only other thing that's gonna pull Leipold ever out of Kansas is if Fickle crashes and burns in Wisconsin. I could see Leipold going back to that. But I think those right now, those in Leipold's mind, those are the only two jobs he's taking at this point. Um I, I
5: agree. And I think that um, you know the other option is is if it goes back to Ohio State, you never know how how those people are gonna act when they lose to Michigan. I mean, they're I don't think they're not gonna fire Ryan Day, but uh,
1: what happened? Well, yeah, but what happens if Michigan beats, <laughs> beats Ohio State a third straight year? I mean, well, I, I that's mean, I've
5: said, and everybody, everybody, everybody said Fickle wanted uh, Ohio State. Um, <laughs> apparently he wanted out because he, he's been talking uh, to people and the schools, and uh, we all thought he wanted to stay there and go to the Big 12 and, and well, be the
1: and I. Had- and, and I understand, good. yeah. And I mean, I always understood the allure of the Big 12 for Fickle. And quite frankly, I thought staying at Cincinnati was a very wise move. Right. They like you. They're going to pay you fairly well. You're an ad. I mean, you're the best they've ever had over the last, what, seven years? I think six, seven years. Right. It's, I mean, his record there is just, I mean, it's amazing how well he's done. Once he got past that first season, he's basically averaged i think like he's like a 10 and 2 season essentially that he has been that he has been at uh that he's been at cincinnati when you look at him in that position going to the big 12 now he's now he's still in a power five conference in the big 12 and I think that was something that's key for some of these coaches because I think going into this season, sort of the behind the scenes had always been for for guys like Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, get out of get out of the AAC, get out of uh the big twelve, get to the big ten, get to the SEC. Well, I mean, I think the Big Ten solidified – I'm sorry, the Big 12 solidified a few things here that I don't think it would, has been incredibly imperative to get out of the Big 12 now. No, but,
5: no, but I think
1: – But that, I think the Big Ten's always a safer bet.
5: Well, there's going to be a power two going forward, Big Ten and the SEC. And the, 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 even in the 12-team playoff, it's six automatic conference winners – and six at
1: larges. And well, those at 12. larges, I mean, most of them are to come from the Big Ten and SEC.
5: Right. So if you're going to the Big 12, you're not going to miss necessarily get a lot of chances to be in the playoffs. So, uh, and you're not going to have half the money. So, but, I um, and, and, you know, the thing that surprised me, and I, I, Travis can certainly understand this one, I thought Wisconsin, they always picked a Wisconsin guy. And, you know, everything came out last week. That there, there were all kind of weeks after the Wisconsin-Nebraska game that it was Jim Leonard, and it was done. And that they they kind of crapped on their own guy a little bit. Tom, either, Tom they? the
0: yeah. new AD there pulled it, Steve Peterson.
5: Right. I, I, I was like, and I'll tell you what, Travis, um, I have a friend here who played football for Alvarez and in, uh, in Nebraska way back when. He told me that Alvarez did not know about Paul Chris getting fired, and he was pissed, and uh, that they, they, they did not consult him about that. So, um and then Barry came out with a statement yesterday that was very pro-fickle and and all this, but I can see him almost biting his lip as he because they, I mean, Jim Leonard, where does he go? I mean, his, his Ohio old school, State. <laughs> his own school didn't want him to be the head coach. So. Nebraska. Well. I I don't know. I mean, you know, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, he's going to go somewhere. Um, But, yeah, I agree about Whitepool. I agree. uh, You know, the early going back, my God, September, early favorite was Matt Campbell. And, you know, whatever happened to him. um, You know, so uh, I'd like the Cyclones. um, I wonder how they're feeling about the whole thing right now. But uh, I'm sure he's still good. But um, um, speaking of that, Travis, why I have to ask you, um, what's the reaction over in uh, Hawkeye Land about about Rule and Fickle? Uh,
0: uh, you know, Rule the the reaction to Rule wasn't that big of a deal. I think most people are surprised about Fickle, right? Because you you know you know the, the the rivalry with Wisconsin and the reverence for for Barry Alvarez, having been on Hayden Fry's staff, I think is there, and I think people understand the culture that's been built at Wisconsin. And they, they understood that, you
1: know that uh, whole Alvarez slate has been yes. wiped clean.
0: Yeah, I, I mean that that was the weird part. The rule thing, as much as Nebraskans like to think that they get under Iowan skin, they don't as much as you think. Now, at least in the <laughs> in the western half of the state, I think they do. Once you get to Des Moines and and you get to Iowa City, it's more of a Wisconsin type thing. Just because it's just been a longer rivalry, and right. with and with Barry having been with. Hayden Fry, and then turn things around at Wisconsin is a bigger deal. But I think most people went, "Holy crap!" They literally just wiped Barry Alvarez from like the face of Wisconsin today.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that athletic director has essentially, honestly, he has kind of Steve Peterson did. It. It, it's it's sort of a yeah, whatever happened before I got here is now gone.
0: Yes, and it, it's it's a, it's a gutsy move to make. And, we, and I, I thought about this. I, I, I thought Wisconsin just
1: went the way of Nebraska. Which, and it may be one of these deals where when you look at, I mean, and I'm, I don't know, I'm not saying I'm sold on Jim Leonard as a head coach, but I, I, I mean, it very much does seem like, I, I, I do think they wanted J- Leonard as the head coach a week ago, two weeks ago, six weeks ago, when they fired Paul Crist, I thought the idea behind it was, we don't want to lose Jim Leonard. I th- I think they took one look at Nebraska and we're like, huh, they just went and got Matt Rule. Shit, screw it. Let's give it a try. Let's see what happens. We're just going to float an offer to Luke Fickle and see what he says. And holy shit, he said yes. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if if Wisconsin's athletic director was almost surprised that Fickle said yes. I mean, that's what it seems like. I mean, because, I mean, the question then is, is you could say, well, did Trev, I mean, I guarantee you Trev talked with Luke Fickle. We talked about the whole thing where Trev, Tom, where Trev made the comment he he Talked with thirteen coaches. Didn't interview thirteen. He talked with thirteen coaches. I guarantee you, Trev talked with Luke Fickle.
5: Well, it and it might have
1: me- been a purely, hey, I'm just looking for advice here. But I think he talked with Luke Fickle. But I don't think he offered him. And the only reason I say that is, how does Matt Rule end up with an average of nine million a year, and Luke Fickle's getting six million from Wisconsin?
5: Well, the you know, a week ago after the writing in you know, that Saturday night after Wisconsin hung on and beat Nebraska, um, w- w- one of the Wisconsin papers uh, and the, the beat writer has been there forever uh, reported that uh, Winner's getting the job, they just posted it for seven days and he's going to get the job next weekend. Um, sources say. well, now you know, why would Wisconsin float that to him? I mean, it was if they didn't work in a hire lender because that that would have made their guy look bad, would would have made one look bad? So, why would they? Why, why even put that to the writer? Um, it's, I, I wonder if, if in the last week Fickle's people started getting busy and started calling around.
1: I mean, um, you I think this wonder. might have come from Fickle?
5: I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I just wonder also. You know that they. You know, after everything I heard today from Trev and, and uh, the, the president Ted Carter, they've been talking to Rule for a while. is uh, Trace Armstrong was agent, and um, trying to get the Carolina uh, money figured out for a while now, it's been going back and forth. And I, I just wonder if maybe Wisconsin uh, saw that they're going to hire Rule, and they well. We can't hire a letter. If they hire a rule, we have to answer that. Um, so so you, brought up the,
0: you brought up the contract. I'm going to bring this up. because uh, and, and Bill says, hey, was the length of the rule contract influenced by what the college football playoff uh, will look like in four to five years? I think football splits off into two, uh, from universities around that time. I think it was this. I think Carolina had everything to do with the eight-year contract and and, and, and the money. because That, that was my thought. I, I heard I heard Tom, and you tell me if you heard this too, that Trev originally offered seven years, and that's remember last week when the rule stuff started disappearing. When all of a sudden, oh, he turned it down. The rumor has it that was because he wanted eight years, and Trev only offered seven, and they had to come back with the eight years.
5: Well, there's something like that happened because uh, the the Carolina uh, the owner uh, Tepper, he uh, he started playing hardball with them, and it was almost dead, and uh, Trev had to go back to the university. To the Carter administration and say hey i need more money we have to come up with some, some, some money to get this done and uh by god they did i mean trev sold it to him that he's the guy he's the guy i gotta have and uh, so that they, they did what they had to do to get him and uh trump also said that the rule wanted to be at nebraska bad enough that, that they were able to get uh to get in the middle and, and and, and you know, compromise. So, um, you know, it's, this is one of those things. It's kind of scary. You know, this is the kind of thing Nebraska usually screws up. And, uh, <laughs> and, they, and, and they did. They got the guy they wanted, and he's a good guy. And I guess we'll see how good. But uh, I guess there's a little hope in that maybe, huh? 402
0: four three triple five six. Uh Who's on the air with us? You didn't give your name. What's your name? Justin. Hey, Justin. Y'all, you're back, eh? What's up, man?
3: Uh, Greatly appreciate it. Um, Just want to say thank you for everything. You guys have uh, just dug into the details and gone down the rabbit hole. That's what I love. Oh, shit. We're not done
1: yet either. (laughs) We love rabbit holes.
3: (laughs) That's what makes it awesome. I'm still trying to catch up on iTunes.
0: Cool. Is that all?
3: But the question I have for you guys tonight is have you ever – got any brews from Omaha Brewing
1: Wait oh, like the like Omaha Brewing in Georgia Yes sir <laughs> So here here here's a here's a here's a short yes. story made long You went there did you bring beer back I didn't bring beer no, back, they, but I had beer there.
0: Yeah, he went to the actual brewing, the the brewery. They were supposed to send us beer. They didn't send us beer. Yeah,
1: we're a little disappointed. <laughs> well, we're, we're a little disappointed. I, I got, got I got a I got a t shirt and a couple of hats from them that I bought when I was there. So yeah, I was actually my oldest daughter goes to school at Florida State. I was driving her car down to Tallahassee, Florida. And I kind of wanted to plow as far as I could, so I made it to just, I, I camped out, right I say camped out, stay, stayed overnight in a hotel outskirts of Atlanta. Next morning, I kind of head down through Georgia, cut through Columbia, and there was a spot out in the Florida Panhandle that I was heading toward a beach I was going to hang out at for a day, and then head back east into Tallahassee. Well, I'm I'm heading south out of Columbia, Georgia, Or Columbus, Georgia. Is it Columbus? Columbus, Georgia. And I'm driving down this highway in the middle of nowhere, and I see a sign, Omaha brewing seven miles or whatever, off the main highway. And I'm just like, fuck it. I got to give this a try. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I just like I had actually already passed it. So I like a U turn, I come back around. I'm like, I'm not gonna live this down not having gone there. So ran in, grabbed a couple of beer, had a couple of beers. They had just opened for the day, bought a t shirt, couple of hats.
0: So so Justin, you're at the nine oh four area code. Where are you calling from? Uh
3: well, exactly Middleburg, uh just outside of Jacksonville.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. So, because Rob is so drinking so Rob that. is drinking a Schofla Brewing Company out of Georgia tonight. That's a, yeah, that's an Atlanta beer. That's right. an Atlanta beer. Uh, but, yeah, the Omaha Brewing Company was supposed to send us beer. I got a shipment in today from Arkansas. I got nice. some Arkansas brews today. People are sending us beer from all over the country. It's, it's the most yeah, beautiful Oma, thing in the world. Omaha
1: Brewing, the, the beers were good. Their, their tap room, I mean, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean Omaha, exactly. like Omaha, Georgia. Like if you were in Nebraska, that would be uh, that'd be a village, like an unincorporated. Okay. It'd be like an <laughs> unincorporated village if you're in Nebraska.
0: And, and like where's Buck's at? That's in uh, Venice, Nebraska. Yeah, right? so it'd
1: be like Venice or okay. uh, like Ames, Mead, place like that. If Mead's a good. Mead's a good sized town. Yeah, Mead's not that small. But, I mean, it'd be like, yeah, like Some of the best camping. What's that, Justin?
3: Uh, Some of the best camping, some of the best uh, outdoors activities, uh, some of the best boating, fishing that you could
1: get your hands on. Oh, that that area area is awesome. That's good. well, and so my daughter, I mentioned, she's on the rowing team at Florida. Hold on, real
0: quick, Tom. You'll figure out this is not a regular podcast,
1: right? You you figured
0: that one out already, right?
1: <laughs> we, we tangent a lot, but yeah. So anytime it's it's funny. they're it's in Tallahassee where she's in. I mean, she goes to Florida State. Yep. Sorority rowing team. Anytime they they go do anything from like a team building or just hey, we got to get out of Tallahassee for a weekend. They always head north up into Georgia, and it's like—I mean—it's everything from whitewater rafting to rock climbing. It's like I—I'm—I'm—I am duly. In, now keep in mind, we live in Nebraska. We got limestone. That's about it, and it's all flat. So, <laughs> but yeah, there's a ton of stuff to do in in that in that part of Georgia, Southern Georgia. Ton of stuff to do, and if you get a chance to hey, stop in, in
3: Columbus, and, I ran a lot of hills.
1: Oh, it is well, and honestly, it's pretty hilly country. I mean, well, the thing is, though, too, you get up north of Atlanta, then I mean, you got mountains. There's That's mountains true. in
0: Georgia. Yeah. So, all right, buddy, I pre- appreciate the phone call. Get and if you if you want to send us some Omaha Thank beer, you. we'll take it.
3: Thank you. I definitely will make it happen in the next couple of
1: weeks. All right, thanks, buddy. Love it. Yeah, give us their a, beer. Th- with, their beer is good. I I, I don't disagree with you. So, I, I mean, I, I mean, when you're in a town that size, and you've got a and you've got a craft brewery, there's like nothing else to do. You make beer, and you make it good.
0: Let's go down to Oklahoma. That's where Greg is. Greg, welcome to the Doc Talk podcast presented by Fred Sports. You got a with, question for Doctor? With Tom Chattel. I mean, you're with Tom Chattel, too. Uh, Tom disappeared. I do. Uh oh. No, Tom's still there. I think he is. Either that, or he lost his oh, phone. There he went. Yeah. Oh well.
1: All right.
6: My question is, what what did Moose not do
1: that Trav did? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, You know, I you know, so I mean, I I I thought Bill did some good things in the sense that, I I mean, there was some very good and some very bad. And the very good was actually hiring Frost and Hoiberg, and and the reason I say that. At the time, if you wanted a slam dunk hire, those were it.
0: Tom, I'm going to bring Tom Chetel into this. Tom, you, you, you were around Bill Moose a lot more than we were. Did right. he, The question from Greg down in Oklahoma was, what did Trev do that, that Moose didn't do? Um, I, I mean, Moose did the right things here, right? I mean, Fred Hoiberg and Scott Frost were home run hires at the time.
5: It's, it's hard to, you know, it's, it's probably hard to – I, I criticize the hires um, because we were all on board with the thing. I mean, I guess if you had to go back and nitpick, and maybe it's just a pretty good nitpick, um, you asked Frost, okay, what are you going to do? Are you, are you not going to tackle in practice? Uh, are you going to be more like Nebraska or more like Chip Kelly in Oregon? And the answer would have been, well, I'm going to do both. no. You can't do both. You'll be one or the other. And he would have said Chip Kelly um, was his hero. So as was Osborne, but I mean, you couldn't, Hoyberg. what are you, are you going to try to be Iowa State, the Big Ten? Um, what are you going to do? Um, maybe you could have done that um, and found out that they were bad fits, the Big Ten. Um but that's about it. I mean,
0: well, or, or or how about this, Tom? And this is me. And I I don't mean to put you in a tough spot here.
5: It's all right. How,
0: how about you? You have to have an athletic director that holds his head coach accountable instead of going out and partying with him all the time.
5: Well, <laughs> I as, as somebody who um, I, I I I quit drinking five years ago. I, I didn't go to all of those parties. Uh, maybe back in the day I would I would I have the lampshade on, but. Um, I wasn't around for any of that stuff. Uh, certainly there's a lot of stories. I don't know that they, uh, but I, I never heard about them partying together. So I'm not sure that ever happened. Uh, maybe in like, you know, different bars uh, or different parts of the Lincoln, but um, I don't know. I mean, you know, Bill was, every everything with Nebraska Travis has been the anti, you know, Callahan, Peterson wanted to be the anti Nebraska and the anti Solich, so, and then they hired Bo to be the anti callahan Then they hired uh, Icours to be the anti Osborne, and then they hired Riley to be the anti Bo, the nice guy, then they hired Frost to be the anti Riley, and it just it's just it makes your head spin, it just it's nuts. I think they finally have AD. The way it's set up is the way it should be. Now they may they may have fall flat on their face. I don't know. But they're all on the same page, and they have an identity. Nebraska hasn't had an identity in 20-some years. Who are you? What do you believe in? What are you trying to do? And now they finally have one that, that I believe makes sense. I don't know how the, the dog feels. But I think it all makes sense, finally. But it's just they, they brought in Bill to be the anti-I-Coerce. you know, uh, I And you know nobody... Talk to him. And, you know, Moose was a great socializer. But he was kind of like um not a headhunter, but he was somebody that he brought in, and his job was to get Scott Frost. That was his that was why he was hired. So and he used Matt Davison to do that. And
1: um, well, and then after that it almost seemed like he became a little bit of an absentee landlord. And I've said that <laughs> about Frost as a head coach, but well, I think
5: I think COVID started that. He started spending more time on his ranch because of COVID. And then he just, maybe just used that as an excuse to keep doing it. So, um, but, um, yeah, it was, um, boy, you know, you could write a book about all this stuff. I'm not sure if if, anybody would buy it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if anybody would believe it, half the battle. Hey, uh, Tom, what are you hearing about assistant coaches? Uh, A lot of people are asking online about assistant coaches. (laughs) It's believed that the offensive coordinator at uh, South Carolina is going to come along, uh, maybe a couple others.
5: I haven't – I really haven't uh, updated my – you know, there's, there's been some stuff. Up, I guess i over Twitter on that stuff, and it's been, it's been kind of releasing. It's been releasing uh, uh, here and there. I haven't really uh, found out any updates, so I don't know. Um, I just had to chuckle today when they when they announced the South Carolina o- OC was coming. People started, you know, bitching and moaning and complaining. Oh, this guy! And the South Carolina people weighed in. Well, you can have them We don't want them anymore. And they just scored all these points. to to be Tennessee and, and Clemson. But, um, you know what? Nobody likes their offensive coordinator. I mean, everybody in the history of college football, nobody's ever liked their OC. Um, and and that, you know, (laughs) about Osborne play calling for goodness sake. So, um, now maybe in Iowa, they have point, (laughs) but everywhere else it's kind of like nobody, everybody thinks I think a call plays better than the other guys. So I don't know. Um, but I know is the one one guy they brought in uh, recruits Texas. That's a pretty good deal. They haven't had that in a while. Yeah. And
1: um, well, like that's something that's years, you
5: know the last ten years, ever since you have to make twelve, you can't recruit Texas. Well, maybe they can get back in there now. So that that might be a little ace in the hole. In the ace in the hole. So, um, you know what? I think these guys are going to be able to recruit. I think they're going to be able to relate, relate to players. I've already seen Casey Thompson's quote about how he he's really in, in, intrigued with the uh, rule and wants to meet him and he sounds like my kind of guy and and so i think you know a lot of stuff is going to fall into place here uh it's just um you know we know what i'm interested in i'm an offensive line i mean i just it drives me crazy i used to be i used to you know i used to go see Mel teneper in his office um whenever i had free time and i, I Got to become friends with him, and I just it drives me nuts that I can
0: I think we lost Tom. He froze. Yeah, oh, you're, you're back, back now. You're, you're back. back now.
1: All right, sorry. <laughs> I'm
5: on my phone. I'm trying to figure this out. It's all, all right, right Tom. Well,
1: and the the old line. Well, and I couldn't access my laptop. Yeah, the the old line thing is interesting to me because when you look at. From a recruiting standpoint, I mean, there was a couple of articles I read about sort of rules, recruiting philosophy, and this was primarily going back to the Temple and Baylor days, that one, they went after guys who were just really, really, really good athletes. I already touched on the Jalen Lloyd thing, but the thing that I thought was kind of interesting is on the offensive line side. They placed a massive, massive emphasis on development. And it was always, they didn't necessarily try to go after the 6'8, 330 pound guys. They were looking for the 6'4, 6, 6'5, 6, 260 to 280 pound guys who could run, who could move, who were good all around athletes. And they figured, hey, give us two years, we can develop these guys into great offensive linemen.
0: Well, Tom, I tell you what—we appreciate you taking the time tonight. I know you—you've uh, had a busy day, and I sent you that—that uh, uh, that little message through Twitter. And uh, it's the first time in the podcast. Next time, let's get you in the studio. We got a seat over here for you. And uh, you, since Great. you don't—since you don't drink anymore, we'll have some iced tea or some water for you. Beautiful. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, brother. We'll see you later. Thanks, Tom. Tom Chattel from the Omaha World Herald joining us. Let's go back to the phones at four zero two five four three triple five six. Who's on with us right now? Yeah, hey, this is Tim in Dallas. Hey, what's up, Tim in Dallas? What's going on,
1: man? Nice South Country.
0: <laughs>
7: hey. Oh yeah, love it down here and, and super I've been listening to you guys ever since I actually used to live in Omaha and been listening to you guys for several years. Hey, so just wanted a quick question as to whose property it was. So uh, does Matt Rule get the um does he get the margarita machine, the golden tea machine, or did that belong to Scott and that get moved out? <laughs>
1: That's brutal. That is very right. brutal.
3: But, I, I just had the house. Thanks, guys. Yeah,
1: that's a good call. That's, a, that's I, a really good call. You know, it'll be interesting. I mean, from a staff dynamic standpoint, because you look at all the rumors and stories about Scott, and like I said, I, I, I mean, about the worst that I can say about him in terms of. I, I know some people who have family members on the team down in Lincoln right now. And about the worst I can say about Scott coming from those connections is that they said he was kind of an absentee coach. I mean, I mentioned that about Moose. Well, you know, the weird thing about, about Moose, but. but
0: here's the weird thing just comparing and contrasting the two news conferences. When Scott Frost was introduced, it was my family's off limits, my wife's off limits, my kids are off limits. You won't follow them. You won't touch them. If you if you if you even knock on their door, I, I'll never speak to you again. Matt Rule today, hey, we're gonna assimilate. We're we're gonna go eat the local diner. We're gonna be out and about, and that's what we do. I mean, just a completely different approach to to well, everything.
1: And I think he's got a lot more comfort with this. It sounds like his family has a lot more comfort with that world. Um but, I mean, that's a coach's coach right there when you say that kind of stuff. I mean, he definitely said all the right things. And, and again, at the time, Scott was – I don't think anybody would deny the fact that Scott was the slam dunk hire. Yeah, at I would the agree. Time. I mean, I'm kind of going back to that time period and doing this, well, if not Scott, then who? And I'm having trouble pulling names up. I mean, it's been a few years now, but – uh, and, and I know Scott had other job offers. Um, Well, he could have the Florida yeah, fl- job. Florida was kind of the big one, but
0: um, four four zero two five four three triple five six. Let's go back to the phones. Who's this?
6: Uh, this is Jay in Omaha. Hey, Joey, about you, two blocks away from uh, you right now. Nice. Oh. <laughs>
0: It's kind of scary, you know where right I
6: live. Right in
1: your hood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm stalking you. I'm in basement. There's a hey, few no. things scarier than that.
6: <laughs> uh, here's my question, and I don't know. I'm sorry, I jumped on uh, to the, uh, the the tune in here late, but I don't know if you discussed it. Why doesn't uh, Why doesn't Nebraska throw? We've we've not have, had an offensive line for for as long as I can remember. And we have quarterbacks that have been scrambling for their lives. Why don't they throw with the NIL money? Why don't they throw a significant portion of the NIL money to form a new pipeline? You know, when Trev was there, I mean, uh, Travis was there. It it was the pipeline. Why don't they throw a significant amount of money and NIL money at recruiting the top offensive linemen in the country?
1: You know, that's a great question. And so it's – you know, there's kind of two ways to to look at this. There's recruiting and there's development. And you've got to have both. And, I mean, when I was in Lincoln, it's like the guys they were going to – Brendan Stye was a big-name recruit coming out of high school. I mean – Those of us growing up in Nebraska in high school, we knew who this guy was from Esperanza. I mean, Zach Wiegert had a brother at Nebraska. Zach was a great athlete. We knew who Zach was. We knew who Aaron Graham was, this kid out of Denton, Texas. It's These guys were named guys, but at the same time, you had this amazing level of development that went into this process as well. So it's you, you got to have both. When you look at the emphasis recently, however, you see some incredible hits and misses. And I think, I, I thought Pelini did a fairly good job of recruiting offensive linemen. I I thought Callahan did a great job of recruiting offensive linemen. I thought development severely lacked under both of those coaches. And you saw a number of these guys, and we're talking like, I mean, you're talking about Zach Sterup and Jeremiah Searles and some of these names, these guys who had maybe okay careers in Lincoln, Brent Cavalli. And then they go on and have like these pretty good, Damn good NFL careers. It's like you got Nick Gates as a star, has a spends a good chunk of his career starting up in New York. I mean, you look at Alex Lewis starting in the NFL. I mean, you look at Hymus. You look, um, you look at Farniak has been yeah. a part-time and who, starter. And who would have thought that? And it exactly and these were guys that were absolutely just. I, I mean. Nick's nickname in Lincoln was the Swinging Gates. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, it, it's amazing to me that you had these guys that were highly touted coming out of high school, zero development when they got into Lincoln, um, and then they they had just enough talent that they'd get to the NFL, and the NFL coach is like, these guys got some talent. Let's see what we can do. Next thing you know, two years later, they're starting at in the NFL. And that always; those guys had talent. Those were good football players. You saw kind of this mindset switch, where I think you saw that recruitment of talent, but complete and utter lack of development under Pelini, under um, under Mike Riley. When Scott hit the door, they made this about face switch and went to recruiting a profile. Again, it didn't necessarily mean they had to be great football players. And you still did not see, in my opinion, great development. But they recruited a profile, and it was guys who were 6'9", 320, 330 pounds. Now, some of these guys, I mean, you look at Teddy Prohask, I think, is an incredible talent. He's just been unfortunate with the injury bug. But once you get outside of, outside of Teddy, I look at a lot of the rest of those guys on that offensive line, and, and I mean, maybe the best guy after that, I mean, Cam Jurgens, but I mean, he was a converted tight end. He was a guy that yeah. came to Lincoln as a tight end, and Frost and those guys, I mean, one of the very few but very smart moves they made was... This guy would be an amazing blocker. Let's make him an O-line, and let's make him the center. We're going to put him at the – or smack in the middle of it all. That was one of the smart smartest moves, and one of the few moves they made that was that smart was taking him and making that move. But outside of that, I mean, maybe uh, Nuelli, I mean, is – And even he's a guy that I think was sort of a a miss recruiting-wise that he's a guy that I think a lot of people looked at and said, God, this guy's a hell of a developmental project who could be a really, really good college offensive lineman. And that's what brought him back to Lincoln. Um, Interesting to see what he does in in, in the next year or so. Uh, you got some other guys, but I mean, they, oh, I'm blanking on the kid's name. They had a huge tackle out of Utah, um, who, I mean, he was on campus for like three days and then quit, went back home to Utah. He was 6'9", 340. Um, you look at Henry Latoski. I think Henry's still a potential project, but he's a guy that I think would probably stand to lose 20 pounds, improve his mobility, um, and just learn to play the position a little bit better. But I think he's a guy who has the tools in the toolbox. I, I, I kind of seriously wonder about a guy like Ben Hart. I could see a guy like Ben Hart a year from now actually getting picked up by the NFL, spending two years on practice squad, and then all of a sudden emerging as a starter at the no. NFL level just because he never has gotten that development in Lincoln. But it, it's been a combination of things. I think, one, you had great recruitment, complete lack of development. I think when Frost hit the door, you had recruiting of a profile, whether or not it was going to work, and lack of development. The bottom line here, though, is lack of development. And that's something that just we have not seen in almost the last 10 years well, in Lincoln.
0: And, hey, thanks for the phone call, man. I appreciate it.
4: Yep. Thanks guys. Appreciate
0: right, thank, show. Yep. Thank you. So Michael writes in on YouTube says, uh, how would you rank these uh, in head coaching success, recruiting, development, staff management, roster management, X's and O's, assuming leadership is a given number one.
1: How would I rank? So
0: recruit uh, when it comes to a head coach being successful, is it recruiting? Is it development? Is it staff management, roster management, X's and O's, Damn. but leadership being, I think development's number two right after
1: leadership. Leadership development and I, I would probably put roster and staff management as one category because really? you gotta do both. And I think that's something that's a little underrated. Um I think the coaches who are great leaders and great developers are the guys who you're gonna do at least okay. If you're a great leader and a great developer, you're you're gonna be at least okay. I mean Honestly, that's Kirk Ferentz. I think Kirk Ferentz is an out. If you've met him, I've met him in person a couple of times. Outstanding leader, outstanding developer. I don't think he's done a great job with roster management.
0: I would agree with that.
1: And I, it depends. I mean,
0: well, it depends. If you're taking if it's a son, no, he's not a great staff manager. He's taken some pretty good tight ends and made them offensive tackles and offensive guards.
1: And he's taken some really great tight ends and not used them like he probably should have. I, I won't disagree with you. By the way, Robert says, Ben Hart, NFL, shut Rob off, Travis. <laughs> I've had one. I've had one. That's it. You know, I, and I'm not... My point with Ben Hart is that we haven't seen anything remotely approaching the potential we thought we'd see out of him when he was recruited. Keep in mind... You got a guy who let me put it this way: you've got an offensive lineman who is a four-star O-line recruit. He's six seven to six eight, and he's a wrestling state champion in a fairly populous Midwestern state. If you're looking at that, I'm going like slam dunk O-lineman right there. So he had the potential coming out of high school. On paper, Ben Hart looked amazing coming out of high school. Those things are still there. That potential's still there. My question is, is he actually that bad? Or have we just not seen the development? And I don't have a good answer well, to that Well, here,
0: here's a development question, and M. Parker on YouTube says, Rob, how could the offensive line development be so bad under all four of the previous head coaches, including Callahan? Dusty Dvorak uh, was a guest on the uh, PC radio broadcast, and he brought up how OU sacked Zach Taylor nine times in, in the 2005
1: game. Nine. Well, and I'm not saying – I mean, Callahan, again – and that was the thing that was always kind of interesting to me is that I think you had a you had a guy who was arguably one of the greatest offensive line coaches in NFL history and he didn't coach the o line in Lincoln I mean that that's no. the answer to the question he was sending guys off to the NFL those guys would get to the NFL two years later all those dudes were starting in the NFL I mean there was those were outs outstanding, outstanding offensive lineman that he brought to Lincoln. And they at least got to the NFL, and then they all blossomed and had great NFL careers. I, It just, yeah, they weren't that good in Lincoln because Callahan didn't develop them. He was burying a playbook and butting heads with the guys that he hired as O coordinator over who should be calling the plays on Saturday. I mean, when Callahan's an O-line coach, he's been the greatest ever when he's an O coordinator or head coach. He's been a total flop. I can't argue with that. Yeah. It's not a strong suit, but he he didn't go to a super bowl,
0: but that was the benefit of having,
1: I think that was Gruden's players. He was still playing with Gruden's guys. He he was a caretaker, so to speak at that point. And, And that, that caretaker only lasts so long. Once he got past a year and people were like, yeah, this guy can't coach it fell off really quickly. And, the, God, the Raiders just nose-dived after that Super
0: Bowl. Uh, 402-543-5556. The phone lines are open. We now have a screener in-house. Lizzie's upstairs uh, screening those phone calls. So if you want to talk to Dr. Rob, 402-543-5556 is the, is the number to call. Uh, but let's hear some more from 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 Matt Rule. This is, uh, this is him today talking about expectations
2: ask me what our vision is and obviously we want to we want to have heisman trophy winners we want to win major what's awards that? we want to win conference championships we want to win national championships but guys i'm a i'm a day-by-day guy i'm a process guy i'm a what's what's next person and i can just tell you this that i want to build a team that's tough i want to build a team that's hard working i told the team that today like the price of glory is paid in here at 6 a.m <laughs> The price of glory is paid on the recruiting trail. Like we are going to work harder. I can't say that anybody else, but harder than we've ever asked ourselves to work because this is going to be hard. You can't win three games and then win four games and then just come to work excited about just, hey, what's going to happen next? So we have to have a plan, and that plan involves working harder than the next man. We're going to build a team that's tough. We're going to build a team that's hardworking. We're going to compete in everything that we do. There's not a game that I expect to ever walk into where we don't expect to win. We want to honor the people who take their hard-earned money. Like, it is such, it is not a burden, but a responsibility on me as the coach to know that there will be people from all across the state who take the money that they make with their hands and with their work and with, with, with just their daily toil, and they spend it to come watch our team play. And you know what, you can't win every game every year, it just doesn't happen, but you can certainly be a team that people are proud to watch. That's the type of team I wanna be. From the spring game, to a practice, to a mat drill, to a weightlifting session, to a meeting, I expect our guys to be tough, I expect them to work hard, and I expect them to compete, and I expect that because I and my staff will do the same thing every day.
0: Man, if he is not uh, just getting everybody pumped up, it, it, and he, he is a, a great orator, there's no doubt about it. And he says all the right things, uh, and, and people are going to buy it. And, uh, and look at Dr. Rob went to the fridge. So if you're wondering where Dr. Rob was, he he ran out of beer. He grabbed me another uh, Wisconsin Belgian Red. What would you grab this time?
1: It's another, uh, this is Monday Night Brewing. We've had them on before. Craig's hooked us up big time with Monday Night Brewing. Yeah, you know, you could have grabbed me
0: one of those. You didn't have to grab me the sours all the time. I thought you, all you liked was You, you get the 16-ounce beer. beers.
1: I get the 12-ounce beers. You're a huge Badger fan. Uh, no, I'm not a huge Badger You fan. love the Badgers. <laughs> you wanted Luke Fickle <laughs> as Nebraska's Is
0: that there. right? Uh, 402-543-555. Uh, what is the number? 555-6? Is
1: that what it, triple it five is? 6 555-6. 543 543-555-6.
0: Yeah, five King D in Omaha. What's up, man? Hey, fellas. How are you? Good. Good. How are you doing? My, my question I'm doing well. my
7: question is this <clears throat> for four and a half, five years we we listen to Frost all his propaganda that apparently not much of it is true so my <laughs> my question my question is this. When Frost, when we first played Iowa with Frost the very first game, after the game, Frost, quote, was basically Iowa was bigger and tougher than we were. We need to get bigger and stronger. Yeah, like that. I remember that. So, yeah. In your opinion, did we accomplish that no. under the old strength and conditioning guy, or is that all propaganda?
1: I, You know, I'm going to say no. I mean, I, I, I say this because I've known Zach for years. And I think if you know his strength program and you look at a lot of his track record –
0: you're talking Zach Duvall now.
1: Yeah, over, over the years. I mean, helping yeah. it, working with everything from Creighton through his time at Buffalo, um, UCF, and then when he hit the door in Lincoln. <clears throat> you know, I mean, it was kind of this weird – you saw the guys. I mean, you, you saw some of these guys who were like incredibly embedded in the weight room when were the total workout junkies. But, I mean, I didn't see that development that I would have liked to have seen across the board at multiple positions. I mean, I wanted to see that at the linebackers. I wanted to see that at the offensive linemen. I wanted to see that at the safeties. I wanted to see that at the running backs. Um, I mean, a good example would be, so go back to, let's take Divine Azigbo. So Divine Zigbo went from his junior year under Mike Riley to a senior year under Frost, and you saw this incredible development of side speed, strength, um, agility, loss of body fat, gain of muscle, all the old Bo Epley, Boyd Epley uh, parameters that guys always used to like take measurements on. And Devine Zigbo shows up that that first year under Frost, and you could tell, okay, this guy put in the work in the offseason. This guy worked with the strength staff. He is measurably bigger. He's measurably stronger. He has less body fat. He hits like a truck. He, he blasts through holes. That first step is quicker. That's the kind of development that... And I think a lot of that was a personal thing with Devine, by the way. I think he made a decision. Hey, I am going to change who I am as an athlete and a person here. And I want to try and see if I can't have that great college season. And I want to see if I can't parlay that into a shot at the NFL. And he did. I want to see that from everybody, though. I want to see that at all the positions. And I just never saw that wholesale across the team. I never saw that wholesale across the offensive line. I look at the guys on the offensive line, and and it's not like you look at those guys and you go like, oh, my God, this is a bunch of freaking beasts. I wanted to see a bunch of Robert Galleries. I mean, if you're an Iowa person, I want to see a bunch of guys that were 6'6", 258-pound tight ends and turn themselves into 6'6, 307-pound offensive linemen. That's what I wanted to see, and I wasn't seeing that. I wanted to see kind no. of a big soft offensive lineman turn themselves into a big, freaking completely jacked-out freaking nature alignment, and I just wasn't seeing that. I mean, it's and it's so, there is a bit there is a bit of an indictment on the strength program there, and I've talked to guys that know Zach better than I do. I've talked to guys who are strength coaches, who are like, yeah, I mean, it, and the, the the strength coaches say, hey, we know what Zach's program is, but it doesn't look like it's getting applied to these guys. It's like they're not doing it. So who. So who whose
7: responsibility or uh, accountability is that? It's to a great question. Make sure that it's being applied.
1: And, and that's a great you know, question. And that's and that's th- one question. So there's there's three. You've got three components here in terms of that question from an accountability. One, you've got the football coaches. <laughs> That has to be an emphasis for the football coaches themselves. And for some football coaches, it is. Some football coaches, it's not. I think for the great football coaches, the great football coaches want their guys, if you're not in class, you better be in the weight room. If you're not in the weight room, you better be on the track. If you're not on the track, you better be back in the classroom again. You got to have guys who are dedicated to those things. So there has to be an emphasis and an accountability that comes from the coaching staff itself. Some coaching staffs don't have that as an emphasis, and Mike Riley is a good example of that. It just wasn't an emphasis there. I don't know if it was under Frost. I really don't think it was. I think there was this, hey, if you want it, we got this guy over here. He will literally work you out till you puke. But, th- but that's up to you if you really want to do it. That's my assumption. I'm not saying that's how it ha- was under Frost. But in terms of what we've seen on the field from a development standpoint, that's what it seems like it was. Um, You okay. definitely didn't see that accountability but- under uh, under Riley. Now, you also got to have a strength coach who has a program that he's going out and he's – It's an all-inclusive thing where he's getting the whole team to buy into what they're teaching. And some strength coaches are very good with that. Some strength coaches maybe aren't as good at that. Um, I've known some strength coaches that they'll get great buy-in from a couple of position groups, and that's it. The wide receivers, DBs, and linebackers, they got great buy-in for the strength and conditioning program. The O-line, D line sucks. Vice versa. I mean, it's I've seen buy-in from position groups, but some position groups, but not others. You gotta have a guy who can get full team buy-in and great strength coaches are tend to be very good leaders they tend to be very good teachers in the sense that they can explain the why to the athlete and have the athlete buy into that the third thing is is and this is kind of a program thing a culture thing and this might be the hardest component of it is that you got to have an ingrained cultural component where the athletes have that buy-in, the athletes, that motivation comes from the athletes themselves. That is the hardest part to get. We had that at Nebraska. We didn't have that, though, in my opinion, until about halfway through the time I was there. I mean, we had the guys who were the weight room junkies who were hardcore into it. I was one of those guys, guys like Joel Wilkes, Brendan Stye, uh, Kevin Raymakers. I mean, I've heard stories about you.
0: I saw Aaron Graham out the other night. He, he, he just started dropping stories about, he said you had 20 inch biceps at one time.
1: Yeah. Well, probably at least at at least
0: like like 20 inches biceps. Those are massive dude. I had big arms. You were like Hulk Hogan.
1: He had the 24 inch pythons, brother. There we go. Yeah, I could crush some weight with the arms. That was grip strength, though. So I did dumbbell curls because it was a grip strength thing. You can't hold if you don't have grip strength. (laughs) Grip strength is key, Travis. (laughs) So, but I mean, it's no, but we had a group of guys that had buy in. And by the time you got to like 92, 93, um, you, you had these guys, you had some of these leaders, these guys who were seniors in 92. And this was like, Jim Scott, Terrace Chorney, uh, Chris Zizda, Kenny Malin, Um, on the offensive line, you had uh, on the D line out of that, uh, Lance Lumberg, on the defensive line, that was like like Dave Noonan and Kevin Raymakers, those guys 92, 93, who had that hardcore buy-in and were kind of the gym rats you got to have it come from the team. But, I mean, by the time you got into 94, 95, if you were not a hardcore weight room guy, you were in the minority. And you were almost shunned. And it didn't matter what position group it was. Everybody was pretty hardcore about that. You were going to be... You walked out of the tunnel. If you were a safety teams would look at you and go, like, damn, I don't want to get hit by that dude. If you were a wide receiver, I mean, you saw Kenny Cheatham walk out of the tunnel. You did not want to get blocked by that dude. Kenny
0: Cheatham, out. there's a name you haven't heard in a while. Guy could catch the rock. He could. And that, was a,
1: that guy was a freaking. Remember Petey Mack? He was Petey Mack's, like, favorite favorite player. It was. Kenny was a, he was like a, a slightly light tight end who could run and block the shit out of you. But, I mean, you had these, but, I mean, even guys like Abdul Muhammad, who Abdul was not a big dude, he worked his ass off in the offseason, and he would freaking bring the wood to you. But it's you got to have that from the players. I saw that emphasis, that internal motivation and accountability that came from the players. It kind of started dying 99, 2000, 2001. That's where I saw the last of it. And after that, it really dropped off. But, I mean, there was a massive internal accountability amongst the players to have that development with strength and conditioning that just, I mean, it was probably about a seven, eight-year span there. And then I, I just, I really felt like it went away again.
0: Um, 543 four three triple five six. That's the number to call if you want to uh, join the show. We have lines open. We have no time frame, ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna stay here as long as uh, you keep calling and the and the questions keep. Well, coming at some in.
1: point, I do got to go to work tomorrow. So uh, well, yeah, we won't be saying. going that
0: I'm, late, and I'm sure Owen probably wants to go, to, you know, to bed, and Lizzie probably wants to go to bed too, and my wife probably wants to go to bed. Day jobs, Trev. Uh, Scott San- Stanley or Shanley started a shitstorm yesterday.
1: Yeah, well, maybe a little
0: bit. No, he I mean, started I, a shitstorm. And, and, and listen, I everybody's entitled to their opinion. This has been an interesting hire. I think after today, people feel better because they heard the grandiose speech. But this has been a very divisive hire because of because Joseph.
1: Keep talking because I'm gonna pull up the actual thread of
0: Twitter. And, and, and here and here's what my uh my 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 problem with Shanley's tweet is that he based it off what another NFL guy told him about Matt Rule. I can see where Matt Rule's you know, rah rah preachy type stuff wouldn't work in the in the National Football League. It's a there job. is a
1: difference between college and NFL guys. Yes. And anybody who, I think anybody who looks at those as, a oh, God, he sucked in the NFL. Well, so did Urban Meyer, Sabin, So on. I mean, it's like the list of the list of great college coaches who sucked ass in the NFL. Is long and storied. Yeah,
0: so I mean, so if you're getting your information from an NFL coach who's probably spent the most of his time in the National Football League, and you hear this about Matt Rule, well, you're getting a, a, an NFL guy's perspective of it. College and pro compl- is and 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 apples
1: and oranges. And I would be the first to. I played in the NFL. I I had half the career Shanley did in the NFL. He was a ten year guy. Yeah, I got my whopping in like four five years or whatever it was in the NFL. But I spent enough time there to know that it's kind of interesting because for the players in terms of the skill set that you need to succeed in college, it's kind of the same skill set that you need to succeed in the NFL. The difference is that when it comes to coaching, all of a sudden, that that's, I mean, man, that's that's interesting. It's almost a different sport when it comes to coaching. And administration at that level. And so I, I totally get it. If you're an NFL guy, I remember no like the NFL people I talked with, they considered Lou Holtz a joke when he was at the NFL. Lou Holtz was an amazing college football coach. He was considered a joke at the NFL level. When Steve Spurrier decided he was gonna give he was gonna give it a try he was considered a joke at the NFL level. I, I mean, when Nick Saban gave it a try and went to Miami, he was considered a joke at the NFL level. There was, I, I mean, the the guys who bridged that successfully, I would probably say, and I'm, I'm, let's say modern era last 30 years. Pete Carroll did a pretty good job. Pete Carroll, but I mean when you're but Pete at,
0: Carroll, what Pete Carroll do before he got to USC? He struggled at the NFL
1: ranks. He but, did, but I mean a lot of NFL guys struggle uh, at the NFL uh, ranks. True. My point is is that Pete Carroll didn't coach USC I think as much as what I as much as Pete Carroll managed a bunch of big money guys at USC. Does that make sense? Yes. So when you look at it in that sense, I'm not sure Pete Carroll was doing a lot different at USC than he would have done at the (laughs) NFL. Mindset-wise, I think it was probably as close as you were going to get to an NFL roster. And so I don't think that was much of a stretch. The other guy is Jimmy Johnson. who was at Miami, which was the the USC of the the mid-late 80s. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of the same thing. So I'm looking at this. This well, the, Hold on to that. Let's get to this phone call real okay.
0: quick. Okay. Uh, 402-543-5556. We usually don't let people use their Twitter names, but because I've seen them on Twitter before, I'll let them do <laughs> it. Uh, Texas Toast. We're going back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Dallas-Fort Worth seems to be like the popular place to be calling in from tonight.
1: I love Dallas, by the way. I will say that. What's up? Hey, guys. What's up? How's it going? Good. Outstanding. Hey.
6: Hey, so sorry. I'm calling in so late. Um, you I, should feel horrible
1: about this. and We're, we're extremely disappointed. I feel absolutely <laughs> awful. Well,
6: I'm going to be up at 7, but I'm supposed to go into work tonight, so I had to get some sleep. But um, I'm just so fired up for this hire. I don't know what's been said. I just hopped on. Um, I'm 27 years old. I've been a corner husker fan my whole life and all I've known is just losing and disappointment. And this entire football program, this entire administration, for my whole life, from Harvey Perlman to Steve Pearson to since I was in diapers of just effing up and mishandling this entire entire football program. And I cannot be more ecstatic with how Trev led the search, with with how he handled the press conference, with the media, with everything. Also, since moving down to Texas, um, I've been following Baylor for, like, five years. I've been trying to convince people on Twitter for the last, I don't know, 72 hours that Matt Rule isn't this fraud. He's actually a program builder. So, I just want to know y'all's thoughts on um, how he actually, like, how Trev handled the search in uh, your guys' eyes. I don't know how you've rated the hire yet, but. I think Matt Rule is exactly what we need. I think we do need a a a guy that's not going to only say what he needs at the press conference, also not have a freaking dip in his mouth the whole time. And I'm just <laughs> the it's program. funny you say that so yeah, because everybody
0: thought this was Rob's di- spit
1: bottle. Oh, has it, really? Yeah, has yeah it? people have been writing in, Rob's got a spit bottle. I literally had to bail out and go to the bathroom yeah. because I've been pounding iced tea all night here. Uh, yeah. You
6: I'm know, just excited the- for Nebraska football to actually look like professionals again, look like the big boys in the room. And if you're gonna spend nine million dollars on a hire, you 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 freaking pull out the paycheck or fricking, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just so freaking fired up that this organization is actually looking like a real multi million dollar organization. And I think that's all to Trev Alberts right now. I think he's done a fricking awesome job. So those are my thoughts. Um um, yeah, I'm just so excited, and uh, thanks for taking my call. And, yeah, guys, appreciate it. Thanks, so, man.
1: Appreciate it. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I I think in terms of rating rule as a hire, I mean, so I think there was probably – the more I look at it, the more I do like rule, and maybe it, maybe it's it, it's fifty
0: fifty. Can we just all agree? I mean, you had a great dissertation on Twitter yesterday when you responded to Shanley's tweet.
1: Well, no, I did, and I like. By the way, I like Scott. I, I do. You you can like him, you can hate him. Scott's I've met Scott. Scott's smarter and shit. He is. He's smart. He is highly experienced. He knows the game of football. Now, I will say, I mean. When you look at college and pro, dude, combined together, two-thirds, I mean, 66% of Scott Shanley's playing career is at the NFL level. That's the world he lived in, was the NFL level, and he lived in it at a high level. He was a very good NFL player. He has deep NFL roots, and there is a difference between those the college world and the NFL world. Now, I will say in Scott's defense here, one of the comments he makes, um, you know, one of the guys who does follow us is Terry McGuire on Twitter, and he said, considering what Rule started with at Temple and Baylor, that he got both of them off the mat is very, very compelling. And, and well, and he, he goes, I'd gather most fans will support, but we'll reserve judgment. We're jaded too. And Shanley responds with, he goes, Agree. I hope I'm extremely wrong. So Shanley is admitting that what he's saying is like, Listen, I'm basing this off of an NFL guy who's judging Rule as an NFL coach. And I got to be honest with you, like I said, I got to sit back and watch the NFL's take on guys like Lou Holtz and Saban. And uh, I mean, I know I've talked to NFL people who've commented on Urban Meyer. They consider Urban Meyer an utter, complete joke. By the way, if, if Urban Meyer will go down in history it's probably one of the top ten college coaches of all time. I
0: would agree with you, and I, and I think if Urban Meyer would have been announced as the head coach today, everybody would have been on board. I really do believe that. I, I, I believe in my heart that they. would Okay, have been on let's board. talk
1: about that because we do, There's a handful of there's a couple of things we got to get to. Urban Meyer is one of them, so let's jump on Urban right now. I think ninety nine. Uh, I think about eighty percent of Nebraska fans would have been like, "Hell yeah, let's go win some fucking football games." True, and guess what? Urban would do it. He he would have won a national title. Yes, at a place like Nebraska, I think give him give him time. He'd he'd get us to the Big Ten title game. And when I say give him time, I'd say three years to the Big Ten title game with Urban, and I'd say five years to win the Big Ten. And I think in that time span, he probably punches out a national title. I firmly believe that he is that good of a coach. Would I also be sitting there going, oh my God, we just absolutely fucking sold our souls? Probably. 100%. And there's things I like. I listen to Urban on Fox now, and I'm like, he's so good. Oh my God, he's good. Like that, like that guy, I swear to God, that's loose. Did you ever watch the show Lucifer? Uh, I did not. I've only watched like five episodes ever. Anyway, he's Lucifer. That guy is Satan incarnate. Like I'm like, part of me is sitting here trying to figure out like, wait a minute. How did you fail at something? He actually failed at something. Here's the thing. He's a college guy. That is a college football coach. He was amazing at Utah. He was amazing at Florida. He was amazing at at Ohio State. And it was at all aspects he could recruit. Do you, do you remember the year he won the national title, that was a third string quarterback people. That was their third string quarterback that he won a national title with and he made he that guy got drafted how do you recruit i mean i get having a couple of good quarterbacks on the roster how do you have three national title caliber quarterbacks on one roster that just doesn't happen Even five or six, even pre transfer portal, and that was pre transfer portal, by the way. Guess what? Guys still transferred. Yeah. I was at Nebraska when three scholarship quarterbacks transferred in one year. He had three national title caliber quarterbacks on one roster. Two got hurt over the course of the season. The third guy took him to the national title. And guess what? It wasn't even close. They beat the shit out of people once they got to the four-team playoff. Anyway, he is great at recruiting. He is great at development. His players were always highly developed. They would lose seven guys in the first round after a great season, an additional five or six guys throughout the rest of the draft, and they would completely reload from their own roster the next year and would go and do it again. He was great at developing. Oh, my God, though, what a scuzzball.
0: That's the whole thing, the baggage that goes along with it. And
1: that's it. the thing is that if they, if Nebraska had hired him, I think we'd be ecstatic about it. But, I mean, so, okay, let go back and let's take a look at Tom Osborne. Okay. Okay. I get the Christian Peter stuff. I get the Lawrence Phillips stuff. If you were there at the time, and I was, Osborne was honest to God trying to do the right thing. Let's take Lawrence Phillips, for instance. Tom Osborne truly felt like, I could cut this guy. I can unleash this dude on the world, unhinged and with no structure. If I can keep him here an extra one, maybe two years, I keep keep him in a structured environment, can I maybe mold this guy, shape this guy, bring out a little bit of more of a little bit of spiritual development and intellectual development for this person before he goes out into the world? And that was Osborne's best hope. Now, Osborne, I think, was wrong, there's some people that you're not going to fix. And I think Lawrence was a guy that just trouble was going to follow him no matter what. Now, keep in mind, I say that I loved Lawrence. He was highly intelligent. He was a good person. He had some, no, he wasn't a good person. Okay. He may not have been a good person, but the the guy had some amazing flaws. Okay. I I, I could agree with you on that. The guy had his issues he he's a hate the sinner love the sin kind of guy i'm sorry hate the sin god i screwed that up love the sinner hate the sin love the sinner because if you knew him in a i'd call it sort of a small setting type situation when you knew him one-on-one he was a great person and I truly believe that. He also was an incredibly flawed person with some horrific problems that he took out on people around him. Osborne, you know, I, I think Osborne was ultimately going to fail with him. You got Christian Peter, who's a guy that I think um, bad reputation outshone who he actually was and the things he actually did. But Osborne got raked across the coals for both of those guys. And I think Osborne was willing to do it because I think Osborne wanted truly to help those guys. And Osborne truly felt that in terms from a big picture standpoint, Osborne felt like he was doing the best thing not just for those individuals but for the world at large by trying to help those people become better people. Osborne will always be criticized for those individuals and for the... Yeah, because I don't think
0: Urban Meyer tried to do that with Aaron Hernandez.
1: I think Urban Meyer is the exact opposite.
0: He used them to better himself and didn't care where they
1: thought. I don't think Urban Meyer gives a rat's fucking ass about the world at large. I don't think Urban Meyer gave a rat's ass about, hey if I keep these guys within my program and develop them as better people, that will benefit them as individuals and it will benefit society and the world we live in as a whole. I'm not saying Osborne made the right decisions, but Osborne was trying to do the right thing. And I think it backfired a few times over the course of his career and those guys are examples of that. I don't think Urban Meyer ever really gave a rat's ass about trying to do the right thing with guys like Hernandez, uh, with Zach Smith as an assistant coach at Ohio State. I think Urban Meyer was, what can I do to make us the best football team to win games to further my legacy and career, as opposed to trying to do the right thing? What do you think of...
0: Coach Osborne saying that he talked to Coach Rule and it was cordial, short. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what people I've, want. I, I, I mean, well, I don't make too much. Of it. First of all, let me just say I don't make too much of it. P- I think people wanted to hear, "Oh my God, we had an hour long conversation. We talked philosophy." Welcome board. I don't know what you want a guy to say. He's probably never met him before. You know, I probably had no clue.
1: And yeah, and, I'm, I mean, it's. I think Osborne. Yeah, I totally agree with that. At the same time, I think Osborne really. W- had high hopes for Scott. And I think Osborne was part of the reason Scott got this passed off season and start to the 2022 season was because I think Osborne and a number of other people stepped in and essentially said, hey, Trev, don't fire him now. Because I think Trev was ready to separate from Scott at the end of the 2021 season. I think Trev was ready to cut ties and move on. And I think Osborne and a select group of very influential and very ingrained within the program boosters were like, damn, can we give Scott one more year? And I'm not saying that was a bad thing to do, um, but I think that was the, the main reason Scott was here at the start of the 2022 season is because of that. Uh, I, I mean, I think Osborne would have loved to have seen Mickey stay on. But at the same time, too, o- Osborne's human. I know some people are shocked when I well, say hey, that.
0: Robert says this, love T.O., but not everything the program has to be based on his approval. Amen to that. And Wisconsin's well, going through this right now with Barry Alvarez. And it we can- is,
1: but, I, but and I've said this about Osborne before that, I can love Coach Osborne. I can have a massive amount of respect for Coach Osborne. I can say that there's a lot of aspects of my own life uh, that I 100% give credit to Coach Osborne for the lessons he taught me and the influence he had upon me. Guess what? That does not mean I 100% agree with Coach Osborne with all situations and with all issues. And this might be one of them that, do I, would I have loved to see Mickey get the job? Well, I love Mickey Joseph. He was one of the first quarterbacks I blocked for. It was him and Mike Grant and, and Keith and McCant were the first three quarterbacks I ever blocked for down in Lincoln. I love Mickey. He is an outstanding individual and an outstanding coach and an even better human being. I don't know if he was the best candidate to be the head coach at Nebraska, though.
0: Hey, before we keep uh, diving in, because we have some more uh, things to talk about, I do you want to remind everybody this podcast is presented by Betfred Sports. If you live in eastern Nebraska, if you live in western Nebraska, get into Colorado, live in Arizona, you can get a pick up a free $20 bet by downloading the Betfred Sports app on the Apple and Google Play stores. Uh, just set up that account, use the promo code Talk, and you get a free $20 bet. In Iowa, Arizona, and Colorado. Of course, sports gaming is coming to Nebraska. Sooner or later, our legislators will pull their head out of their ass and actually give you (laughs) online gaming when you do... Make sure to use Betfred Sports. The Betfred Sports has been with us all season long, and we do want to thank them. Also, we want to thank our good friends at uh, Tickets for Less. Uh, if you're going to your next uh, your next concert, your next basketball game, uh, maybe even you know the, the the volleyball final four, Tickets for Less is where you want to go. It's formerly Ticket Express, and it's your home for the lowest prices on event tickets with both local and nationwide. Not only does Tickets for Less have unrivaled customer care team to ensure that you have the best ticket buying experience, they also never charge you for a t- per-ticket service fee, saving you big money at checkout. Trust me, that's a true deal. Uh, I used them last week uh, to get my son some tickets to the Iowa Nebraska game. Uh, plus, when you use the promo code Talk at Tickets for Less, you can save even more on your order. So shop for your seats and save today at ticketsforless.com. All right, uh, Dr. Rob, this one's coming in. Uh, where did that go? Where'd it go? Is this it? All right, what's your realistic expectation for next season? Do you think there's enough talent and coaching to win six games and go to a bowl game?
1: Yes, I do. They almost did it this year. I know. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the last couple of years with, boy, some serious flaws within that coaching staff, they had enough talent in Lincoln I mean, last year, God, last year, what they, somebody said they put, like, uh, Nebraska, the 20, this is the 2021 season, into a computer algorithm, and it basically spit out and said the 2021 season was a 1 in 1,500 chance that you end up with only three wins. That it should have been like a five to seven win season at worst, it, but and I think it actually the the computer model spit out like an eight win season for them in twenty twenty one. This year, I mean, again, so Nebraska won, won four games. Yep, they really should have beat Northwestern. They should have beat and, Wisconsin. And let's just start with the easy ones. I mean, the ones that are really Georgia easy Southern. To argue, shoulda beat Georgia Southern, shoulda beat Northwestern. There are six wins right there, you're going to a bowl game. So if you do if, if you look at it that way, I mean it's amazing how close they are. It probably should have been a 7 and 5, maybe 8 and 4 year in terms of what they were actually capable of. Shoulda beat Minnesota, shoulda beat Wisconsin. I I I one hundred percent Wisconsin especially, but it's at at the very least you could still lose to Wisconsin, you could still lose to Minnesota, still lose to Illinois, and still be a six win team yes. and go to a bowl game. And
0: you know what you have right now? Scott Frost is your head coach.
1: It is a little scary when you think of it that way.
0: By the way, uh, Matt. Rils- Which, by the way, yeah.
1: I would still go back to early in the year. Somebody asked Trev, and uh, it was at Big Ten Media Days. Somebody asked Trev, does he have a number in mind, a win total that Scott Frost's tenure is tied to? And Trev said no. And most people interpreted that to mean, hey, Scott could still only win four or five games and be retained. And I will go back to the fact that I said when Trev said that, I believed what Trev was actually saying, Scott could win six or seven games and still get fired. And I still believe that today, too. So when you say, hey, Scott goes 6-6 and and takes Nebraska to a bowl game, in my opinion, that does not save Scott Frost's job in Lincoln.
0: So what are your expectations? Uh, Matt Rule says it's going to take some time, uh, but he kind of addressed by saying it was more rah-rah, but he kind of let you lay out maybe to temper your expectations. Because that's what you do. You set the bar low, and if you exceed it,
1: then, then everybody's yeah. feeling pretty happy. Right? Well, let's 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 just do this. You're one. I've got very low expectations,
0: okay? Let's and up.
1: the reason is is because of track record, when you look at what he did at Temple, which I know a few people pointed out, well, Temple actually had an okay record in the year previous to when he was there. It's like, well, yeah, but they had some other issues and it was a coaching change and I'm not sure that was a great example, but he won I think 4 games his first year at Temple. It was 3 or 4, you might want to pull that one up, but um the first year at Temple wasn't great. His first year at at Baylor was not great. Now, I would also add in that first year at Baylor was in the midst of about a two-and-a-half-year-long absolute...
0: Two-and-ten his first year. At Temple? Temple. Okay. Two-and-ten, six-and-six, ten-and-four, ten-and-three.
1: You know what? If you get Nebraska to ten wins by year three, I'm ecstatic. I think most people are. But that, that brings up another point. But, I mean, he did the same thing at Baylor. His first year at Baylor was one-and-eleven. And that was in the midst... I mean, that was... A, that was... That was Okay, so let me let me put it this way. Because so Baylor did get hit actually, and it goes into effect it, it was last year and this year, believe it or not. Baylor the 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 whole sex scandal investigation at Baylor. Yeah. What they actually ended up uncovering and getting sanctioned for was some recruiting violations they never did sanction Baylor over the recruiting, or or over the sex abuse scandals, Hmm. which is kind of interesting. But anyway, the point that I was going with this is, his first year at Baylor was one in 11. And it was in the midst of this time period when Baylor was going through all of these investigations, and it was an incredibly tough time to go down there and try and win any games. Jim Grobe was there for a year as the interim after Art Briles got fired. And I think Grobe took one look around in that year, had a very okay season. It was a very mediocre year. And Grobe was like, yeah, I'm going back to retirement. So well, he
0: was going to be on an interim basis anyway because he came in late.
1: No, and I get that. But, I mean, they got Rule in there. And rule, he did not have a good first year. Baylor was one and eleven. Had a mediocre second year and was eleven wins his third year. Again, if you get Nebraska to eleven wins in year three, a Big Ten title game loss in a one score game, and the Sugar Bowl against Georgia, I will take that.
0: Aiden says, "Has Matt Rule coached a game yet?" How do we know that we are going to be a mediocre team for the future? This is all hypothetical. Uh, first of all, I don't think Rob said that. Let's stop focusing on what ifs and support the program. Aiden, I got news for you. Well, I do support. the Dude, look at my friend. Yeah, Here, I got I'm news for you. I'm at old school. I, I got news for you, Aiden. Uh, what ifs is basically how sports radio and sports podcasts make it.
1: Well, it kind of is. Now, and I mean, that's, I will say the I mean, deal, on, man. on the what is thing. I will say this. I've got a massive amount of support for Matt Real, I'm I'm kind of somewhat cautiously optimistic, but kind of the whole ask me in five years has been my mantra for a while now. If you want to know what I think about Trev Alberts, ask me in five years. If you want to know what I think about Scott Frost, you know, I told people back in 2018, Yeah, 17 was his last year at UCF, 2018 first year in Lincoln. I told, or was it 2019? God damn, I'm losing track of time here. Pelini's last year was 14. 14. Riley was 15, 16, 17. 17. Scott Frost's first year was 2018. In 2018, somebody asked me how I think this is going to go, and I said I'm very optimistic. But ultimately, ask me in five years and I'll tell you exactly what I think. Five years later, it's very easy to look back and tell, you, tell people what I think about Scott Frost and his time down in Lincoln. And it's the, But it's, it's the same for any coach. I mean, you know, you go back, let's say two years ago at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh. He was on the hot seat. The guy was all shtick. He was bad glasses and khakis, and he was damn near close to getting fired. He did a little reinvention. He kind of changed a few things in terms of how he administrated that program. He's got back-to-back wins over, over Ohio State, including Ohio State's worst loss since 1999. That's 23 years ago, by the way. Um... And right now people are looking at Jim Harbaugh and going like, okay, he might be the class of the, of the big 10 right now. That might be the big 10 Sabin is Jim Harbaugh.
0: I tell you what, ever since he shut up and started doing the gimmicky stuff and started coaching, but
1: that's the thing he had all this fucking stick and it drove me nuts. And I remember watching the super bowl between him and John when it was the 49ers Ravens Harbaugh bowl. And at the time, it was just like, God, there's, you got all this shtick on one side with Jim and the 49ers, and you got John, who doesn't say Jack squat with the Ravens. Guess who's still the Ravens' head coach almost 10 years later? John, John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh. Yeah. Guess what Jim Harbaugh finally did? Started start coaching. He shut the fuck up and just coached. And guess what? He's pre- He's a pretty damn good coach. Yeah, and uh, Michigan looked pretty darn good against Ohio. They did. But I mean, the bottom line is if you really want to know how well I think Matt Rule is going to do, ask me in five years and I will tell you exactly what I think. Uh,
0: 402 543 5556. That's the number to call. We're still taking phone calls. Uh, I don't know how much longer we're going to be sticking around. We're over two hours long tonight. We want to thank everybody who's kind of stuck with us. Maybe you've been there since the beginning. Maybe you haven't. Uh, we got quite a few people on right now. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just been a fun conversation. So, and believe it or not. You may not, if you're new to the Doc Talk podcast, welcome. Uh, make sure to subscribe uh, to the YouTube channel. We'd love it. We'd pick up. We'd love to pick up, you know, 300 new subscribers tonight. That'd be great if you're if you're we'll here. Take it. We'll take it. Uh, so subscribe to the YouTube channel. Up,
1: uh, I think we picked up. 400 new followers on Twitter just this week. Uh-huh.
0: Go ahead and like the Facebook page if you're if you're on Facebook. Doctor Rob's on Twitter at Doc Talk Sports. I'm on Twitter at Travis Creates. I think you all need if you're new to the Doc talk podcast, Rob and I've been doing this a long time, okay? Podcasting, God, I think this is our eighth or ninth year of just podcasting. we we were podcasting before podcasting was anything, right? This is the fifth time Rob and I have done a show hiring a head coach.
1: That's a little <laughs> scary. Oh my God, you counted that up.
0: Yeah well because you you, you weren't with me. Tommy Frazier was with me when Solich got fired. And yeah, then, but I was... Yeah, because Tommy was doing Sports Sound Off with me. He Then Steve Peterson hired Tommy to go work at the university. And then you, you and I started... So when Callahan got fired, you and I have been through every coach fired and hired together. We've done a show.
1: When did Solich get...
0: 2003, was it? Or we four? Were, we
1: were doing the TV show when Solich got fired.
0: Were we? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so shit, then you and I then you and
1: I've done every one of them. Yeah, we've been there for all of them. For all of them. Yeah, because I started doing the TV show with you would have been I believe in 01. Oh, wow.
0: No, because I start No, Tommy was my first co-host. But he didn't last very long because Steve made him quit. So and I that would I was villain. that would have been, been yeah, so I think that would have been two thousand three, the year he got fired, was our first year of doing that show, if I'm not mistaken. Or the year before that, because um when they went to when they got beat by Eli
1: Manning and Ole Miss in the in the Shreveport Bowl. What is that? Oh my god. Yeah. I was watching that from Walt Dis- from Pleasure Island, and Walt Disney. World. But but just Our think, family. just think
0: about yeah. that. You and I have done every hiring and firing since Frank Solich.
1: Yeah, that's impressive. That's
0: how. So if you're new to the podcast, if you don't think we know what we're talking about or haven't been through this, we've been through this a time or two. We've done this.
1: We <laughs> we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. So one of the hey, one of the questions I had on Twitter that somebody asked to address tonight. Was how would you grade?
0: Hold that. Let's take the phone call first. Oh, had, I, think, I, I think, didn't know we had a phone call. Yeah. Let's go 543 two five four three triple five six. Let's go to uh, Jerry in Omaha. Jerry, welcome to the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. What's up?
5: Ah, uh, what's up? Uh usually dr
1: Zedekiah usually gives me one question before he knocks me out <laughs> Jerry and usually I think he te- knows who I am Jerry always texts me which you texted me I was still at work when you texted me today so I gotta sorry I gotta probably like, so do, do it though yes sir there we go I just found your te- you just said you were gonna listen at 7 p.m tonight you didn't you didn't even text me a yeah. question I'm kind of disappointed. Well, next time I will, but don't tell my
5: wife I'm on. She's ticked off at me. Anyway, my question is, I'm sick of portal players. Please tell me we'll have less portal players. And, Dr. uh, Zatica, my last time I got knocked out, you weren't there.
1: And you told me to stay away from those. Uh, surgeons, surgeons. <laughs> hey, okay, they will. They the, those surgeons will always find something more. You keep hanging out with doctors, we will always find something to do to you. <laughs> so, hey, Jerry, always good to hear with you. Always good to see you at work. We'll always take great care of you. Um, How so many I,
0: times does he go to an orthopedic Hospital?
1: I've, you know, I've known Jerry for uh, a while, and we trade. Go ahead. Yeah, we, oh. Jerry and I, we I train I can tech. answer that because of confidential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's, the, the HIPAA rules are in here? I can't say. Jerry <laughs> can say whatever he wants. I can't, but uh, right. no, Jerry and I, we track traps right. on stuff every so often. So, you know, you make a – Jerry, you got a great question on the portal thing. Um, that'll be interesting to see because at the time, Rule was at Baylor. That wasn't a thing. I mean that just kind of got about the time he left to go to Carolina was when the portal came out. So it's it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. Now, here's the thing. It's man, it's not going anywhere and there's two ways to deal with stuff like NIL, the portal, any of these changes in college football. Um you, you can live and die by the sword. You know, kind of the example I give there is that, so Bill Schneider, probably the biggest weakness of Bill Schneider's career is that he lived and died with JUCO players every year. So Osborne would take a JUCO guy, maybe one JUCO player, every other recruiting class. That was it. He just... He didn't do a lot of it. And the reason is is because you had fast turnover from JUCO guys. You got a maximum of three years. If they go to a JUCO one year, they come to you, you've got a redshirt year and two years to play. Or if they play two years, if if they redshirt and play a year, then you got three years to play. But Osborne tended to avoid JUCO guys just because he wanted guys who were going to be in the program, be in the system four to five years, and you got more out of them. It was more bang for the buck. If you got a JUCO guy, um, I think the statistic I saw on Bill Schneider is that he would average seven to eight JUCO players per recruiting class. Those guys are gone in two years. So literally a third of your recruiting class every 2 years is turning over. That kind of mucks with your player development schematics. It, it it just it plays havoc on your numbers and your development. And so Osborne tended to avoid it. It worked for Bill Schneider because every 2 years he'd punch out a 9 to 10 win season every 2 years when he was on the bottom end of that JUCO cycle. He'd have like a five and seven season. It was just kind of the nature of it. Osborne avoided it for the exact opposite. Osborne wanted his, he wanted his his trough, he wanted the trough to be nine wins. He wanted the peak to be ten to twelve wins. So he just didn't do the Juco guys. Same thing with the transfer portal is that I think, You need to find a way to use it and manage it, but you don't want it to consume you or own you and become a staple of the program in the sense, and I'm not saying Schneider's a bad coach. The guy was an amazing coach, but he created a lot of peaks and valleys in his time at K-State because of the way he embraced the JUCO system. I think if you live and die by the portal, It's, you know, you're going to end up, it's going to be kind of the Fred Hoiberg where you got all these basically mercenaries and you're going to, finding that team cohesion becomes difficult. Now, if you've got a guy like Casey Thompson, who's a portal guy, who comes in, who has a massive amount of buy-in from day one, who's taken the O-line out for steak dinners, he's getting together with the coaching staff, he's meeting the wide receivers for volunteer workouts at the local park to throw passes on Sundays. It's going to work. There's always a middle ground here, and Jerry, that's what I think and that's what I hope a guy like Rule does. Now, if you listen to the press conference and if you've followed Rule through his time at Baylor and his time going back to Temple, his mantra has always been development. You've got to take some portal guys. You have to in this day and age. You're going to lose some portal guys. You're going to have to replace a few people with portal guys. It is the nature of the game in this day and age. And if you completely ignore it, Iowa, it's gonna come back to you. Hey, I, I can't you. argue with you on that. Yeah, it's it's so you you've got extremes of this. And I think there's a middle ground where you you judiciously use the portal for a select number of players to fill select holes within the roster. At the same time, the strongest way to develop talent is just by that working the development angle. I think if you wholesale embrace the portal and rely on that too heavily, it's going to come back to haunt you. At the same time, I think if you're like Iowa that really has not embraced NIL and what NIL can do from a positive sense and has not embraced the portal and what the portal can do from a positive sense, I think you're going to get left behind. Now, I'm not saying you you go all in on the portal and you you just hand out millions of dollars to guys left and right. I think you got to structure it some way. But I think the the Iowa model is going to ultimately leave Iowa behind. If you want an extreme case of that, I think Northwestern's an example. I think Pat Fitzgerald's a great coach. I think Pat Fitzgerald would like to use the portal more. I think Pat Fitzgerald would like to use NIL more. But I think his hands are tied in a great deal of that. Hand time comes from Northwestern itself and the academic standards that his players have to meet. That he cannot take full advantage of those two things. That's the extreme example. I think Iowa's a little less restricted than that, but not a lot. I, I mean, I, I really think at some point Iowa, if they don't adapt, if they don't change, if they don't get a little bit more—not a lot—little bit more portal and NIL buy-in. They're going to end up w- maybe one slot above. Well, I can West tell you, I
0: because I, I know for a fact. And Jerry, thanks for the phone call, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I was nil collective. We'll it, see. Thank. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Is not doing well. Um, thank you. Last account, only like two hundred and twenty people signed up. And, 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 Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, what I'd call a great effort, but I don't think they know what they're doing. I don't think they know what they want to do with it. You know, they, everybody gets wrapped up into this public service. Let's help a charity out. Let's just call it what it is. You're raising money
1: to make a payroll. Nebraska wants a ten In this million dollar day and age, payroll. You're going to have Absolutely. to have that. It's a to payroll. some degree, and I think the good coaches will find. Great coaches are going to find out a way to manage. Like I said, you're not getting rid of it. It's Pandora's box. You're not closing the lid. You're not getting all that shit back in there. It's out. It's here. The great coaches are going to find a way to use it and manage it. The And I think, oh shit. I think Ferentz, like I said, I'm a little bit of a Ferentz fanboy. I like Kirk Ferentz a lot. But... If you if you're gonna to stay too stubborn to the way things used to be, you're gonna fall behind. I think Kirk, I think Kirk Ferentz in Iowa are gonna fall behind within the realm of the portal and NIL. It's because he wants by to. choice. Yes, I and I, it's funny.
0: Dustin says I don't think Iowa or Iowa State had the backing for NIL. You're crazy. Iowa has one of the top 15 athletic departments budget-wise in, in the country. And if you don't think there's money in the state of Iowa, there's, you're crazy. they got a bigger
1: population base than Nebraska to draw from.
0: I, I, I'm just saying it is there, all right? It, it's there. Should
1: I guarantee you they could get Bush Light to sponsor I, half their But, but if see, wanted. when
0: you have a head coach that r- repeatedly says, hey, we do things the right way, we don't need to do that, you're not incentivizing people to give. Nebraska is smart. Say what you want about Jared Lamprecht in that bunch, and, and but they went after the twenty five hundred to five thousand dollar donor, and they got a shitload of them to they sign up. They got a lot man. of them. Well, and that, those, and that those were up the, the
1: guys. Those were the guys who were the bulk of the booster money going into the athletic department for years. It was those 2,500, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 guys. It's not the, the 50,000 guys. It's not the 100 grand guys. It's not the million-dollar-a-year guys. It's those five to $15,000. It, it's, it's the huge number of those guys. But, like, you, you hit the nail on the head. Iowa and Kirk Ferentz aren't embracing that by choice. North Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern's football team, they can't embrace it because of the academic parameters that the university has already set in place for them. So I mean that's it, it's two different situations, but it's the same result. Nebraska is going to have to, like I said, you don't have to bring half your recruits in through the portal. You don't have to pay everybody, a million plus dollars a year. But you better figure out how to use and manage the portal and you better figure out how to use and manage NIL. And if you don't, you're gonna fall behind amazingly fast. And I always go back to the, one of the first things you and I both said when NIL first got proposed and implemented. Was that the biggest mistake we all are going to make and did make with it? Is we underestimate.
0: Amen. And, and listen, we had Joe. And if he, if everybody, if you're watching this tonight and you haven't gone back to watch some of our other podcasts, go back and watch the business of college football. Episode with Joe Moglia. Joe Moglia is a former CEO and chairman of the board at TD Ameritrade, and he's not a fan of not a fan of NIL.
1: But well, he's not a fan of how it got rolled out in the NC two A's
0: chicken shit way
1: of dealing with. Yeah, it was that's about the best way. Yeah, that's the best. And and you know what? That's how Joe would
0: That's exactly. But to go back, watch the business of college football with Joe Moglia. You won't be disappointed. Of course, he was the chairman and president and CEO of uh, of TD Ameritrade. Went on to be the head coach at Coastal Carolina. Do you got a piss? No, I'm good. Okay,
1: I'm just a little back adjustment. Uh, okay, I can't, so I can't slump the
0: whole. Well, thing. That, that's fine because I got one more quick. because we, we've been on for two and a half hours and we've kept a, a pretty good audience. We've been, <laughs> we've been, but you, you were going
1: to somebody asked you to grade what Mickey Whipple and and uh, Bill Bush and Bill Bush. You know, and I thought this was an interesting question. So I mean. In terms of, so let's take this, we can do just the flat out. So let's do an unscaled grade. I would probably, with Mickey, I would probably say that was like a good solid C+. And I think a lot of people are going to criticize that. You know what? That's a high pass. You passed the test. I don't think Mickey had much to work with. I really don't. He got handed a shit show he didn't have much to work with. He took an F, and it was a blazing – it was going down in flames failure. And he got it to a C plus, And that is hugely impressive in my book. He, he, won, he, he won three games. Let's not get carried away. Yeah. He won three games. And Scott Sprites would tell you they got worse power rankings wise. They did. but I find it a little impressive that he won three games given what he had to work with it is an incredibly tough position to come into. That, that's the non-scaled grade. the scaled grade when you when you sit there and go like, holy shit, the, the, the shit show he got handled and was expected to manage. That's a B plus, A minus is the scaled yeah. grade. Um, Bill Bush. That's actually the guy I'm a little impressed that that I'm probably the most impressed with. Special teams were solid this year. That was a blazing failure the last few years under Scott Frost. Prior to Bill Bush hitting the door, the special teams were, at worst this year, reliable. I mean, if you can go out and say, "Hey, what kind of special teams you have?" They're reliable. That that's pretty damn good. And to do that in one season, what what happens if you got Bill Bush running your special teams for five years? How good are those guys going to be? That's game changer level right there. That that's LeVar Woods level right there. I mean, I I hate bringing up Iowa, but I mean that's that that's what it is. I mean, I think Bill Bush is an outstanding coach to take him a few games into the season and have him take over a little bit of a shit show on defense from Chinander. Um I thought that was really really impressive what he did on defense because he had a lot of injuries Losing guys like Nick Hendricks, I really like Nick. I think Nick's a guy that's a hell of a linebacker, and to lose him in that that what was that the Purdue game with a pretty severe knee injury, um, you lost a couple of other guys along the way. You got your 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 main guy that you're replacing with is a true freshman linebacker. Ha! I I love I love Haasman. I mean it's you got a guy who's a great athlete. He's one year out of high school football, one year removed from playing high school football up at Columbus. That's pretty impressive what he was able to do and, and what uh, what Bill Bush was able to do in terms of incorporating him into that defense and getting them to the point where they could They could go out and compete with I would say everybody except Michigan. They could compete with anybody, and by the end of the year, you go into that Iowa game, and to get well three takeaways. Up until the last, I mean that last turnover. I think there was a little bit of a desperation three, put it into pretty tight coverage, but again that was a takeaway as well too. So you got four takeaways. In that last game, I thought Bill Bush did an outstanding job. His non-scaled grade, I'm giving him a like a, a solid B with what he did on special teams. I'm bumping it to a B plus because I thought he absolute, absolutely polished a piece of shit on that defense. And he had guys to work with, and he did work with them. And to lose some of his better players like Hendricks and still do what he did. I thought it was kind of impressive. Um Whipple I, I that was a dud. I'm I'm just not super impressed. I thought there's a guy that could have been honestly in the situation that he was in especially post uh Scott Frost firing, there's a guy that I thought You know, I thought the reins were coming off. I thought he was going to just, you know what, fuck it, let's cut loose. This is the last year I do this, and I'm going to retire to my place in Arizona and live out my days, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to have a few million dollars to show for this. I thought he could have completely and utterly cut loose, and I thought we were going to see the unleashing of this vertical passing game that we never saw.
0: So what's your grade for him?
1: Well, I thought it was better than last year, so I'm going to say I'm going to call it a C minus. Okay. Hey, what's going to happen
0: now is, and uh, you're probably going to start seeing over the next couple of days, people who you're like, why'd that guy get fired? Assistant coaches, you get it. Dave Ellis was let go tonight. So, um, I, I mean, that's going to happen. I mean, oh, Dave, that I, sucks. Yeah. And I love Dave's Dave, a great dude. Way. Dave's been on this podcast before, man. I mean, that's a, uh, he's the and nutritionist Dave, and Dave knows his shit. He does. But what happens is if a new coach, if you're going to be around the program, it's, sometimes they just want to start fresh. And that's that's what it's about, right? Yeah,
1: I feel bad because I've got a massive amount. There's going to be several. There's going to be several guys that I'm going to feel really bad about with all of this. And, and the and the goofy thing is, is we talked about all these coaching changes that you and I have covered over yep. the years. There's a lot of these guys that I'm like. I think back over the years. I mean. This is a couple times now. I've gotten to feel bad about Dave again.
0: It's just this is was his third stop at the university. So yeah,
1: he's come. He's he's left. He's yeah. come. He's gone. The one but, nice thing about Dave is Dave's one of these guys. He'll always land on his feet. Yeah. That's the thing with like Mickey Joseph. I I mean I will always be impressed by what Mickey did. Like I said, given the circumstances, he he picked up, uh, he picked up three wins. I mean, they they had the North Dakota win. He picked up three additional wins, and I'm calling that an A minus job. I mean, it's don't don't be pissed at me that because people are like, we love Mickey. How's he only an A minus? I'm like, he won three games, but you know what? Given the circumstances, it's pretty fucking and, impressive. And, and he he kept the whole thing together, right? Yeah. So, all right, folks. Uh, boy, two and a half hours
0: in. Somebody said they could listen to you for two and a half hours. Me, not so much. I am full of talk. It's a package deal here. Red. It is. It's a package it deal. It is. I've got the really nice microphones, which my son told me to buy. He was pretty smart though. In other words, I, I, I fought him what I analities. need
1: to do is I need to fire you, hire Owen. And yeah. Owen and I are going to have the Rob and Owen
0: part. I think that, that, that could probably work, actually. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel, folks. Uh, we'd love to have you on board. Rob and I are going to be back here Wednesday night. Yes, we're going to do another live show on Wednesday night. Uh, It's behind the point spread with Scott Spreicher. We'll take a look at the uh, college football championship games. If you haven't seen that show, uh, it's a lot of fun. And we go through.
1: That is for as short a show, although we went almost an hour. Yeah. Last night before Thanksgiving. So, but in turn, it's normally what a 30, 35 minute show about there is more information doled out in that time period per minute than any other show you can find so
0: there you go that's coming up wednesday night at eight o'clock on the youtube channel give the youtube channel a subscription please uh like the facebook page follow dr rob on twitter at doc Talk sports you can follow me on twitter at travis Creates. so um this is going to be up uh you can watch the replay on the youtube channel it's going to be up on the Podbean probably tomorrow also look for the it probably won't be up there tomorrow morning right away because uh, it's getting kind of late but look for the docs diagnosis. Mm. Look at him yawn. Presented by Centrist Federal Credit Union. Be up on the YouTube channel uh, sometime tomorrow for Doctor Rob Zadis. I'm Travis Justice. We will talk to you next time on the Doc Talk podcast presented by Betfred Sports.